1: By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker,
2: engineering your success.
0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host, Martin, and joining me, as always, are Benno and Jamesy, What a weekend it's been for wrestling. Three huge shows happening over in the UK, and then, of course, All Out over in the USA. I mean, Benno, you've uh, spent a lot of time watching uh, a lot of wrestling over WrestleMania weekends, and it certainly felt like uh, one of those weekends, this weekend.
1: Yeah, that's it. I kind of pride myself on the staying power of a WrestleMania weekend, you know, watching three or four shows a night over four days, and this one day with what three shows on it i think it's actually killed me i've got i've got a horrible toothache which is probably brought on from the stress of watching the coffee boys i have two matches on that nxt UK takeover <laughs> i've actually watched it twice because i've turned in a written review to post today so imagine that uh yeah and i just feel i feel completely drained to be honest i don't know what it is i think maybe i was wondering maybe it's the fact that you know we've just been through the g1 um as you both well know especially you jamesy and i was feeling rested i was feeling good i was getting back into the swing of things i was kind of not watching much wrestling and then this weekend's hit me like a tw- ton of bricks out of nowhere we just so it's a, it's a silly complaint to have because there's so much great wrestling uh but it's a lot to get through isn't it i wish uh, i do wish they'd been uh, spread out a little bit but yeah, I heard John Lister say something on the lines of like, a, you know, the two main events on the two British shows both happening, you know, with a, within a couple hundred miles of each other in the UK, within like a ninety-minute window. Like, how crazy is it that 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 happens? So, while there's a lot of it, maybe we shouldn't complain because God, it was a lot of a lot of very good stuff across all three shows.
0: Yeah, I've got to completely agree with uh, John Lister there because. I mean, obviously, it's been a bit of a turbulent time for the UK scene recently, and I found myself sort of like my interest has been waning in, in certain cards and matches, and this weekend has just really, like, re me, and we've had some fantastic wrestling over the mm. over the course of the past two days. I mean, me and Ben are going on about how to fit all this stuff in, Jamesy, but, um, I mean, you're the only dad on this podcast. <laughs> how, how have you managed with uh, watching this stuff over the weekend?
2: in a way, i would have preferred to be on the u s timetable you know the way when when you're kind of you're you're you have you remember at romania weekend you might have had a nine p m show an 11 p.m. show and then one at 1 a.m. and it's like that suits me grand because my kids are generally gone to bed by kind of half seven, eight o'clock. Yeah. So <laughs> I can just I can put them to bed, forget about everything, get, get the iPad going, get the laptop going, get all the get all the get all the shows loaded up that I need to go uh, and kind of watch them in peace. Whereas these shows were very inconvenient for for for, for the wrestling dad fan. Like there was there was a 5:30 <laughs> kickoff for the, the the New Japan, which is slap bang in the middle of dinner time. So I was kind of. <laughs> slyly watching on my phone while trying to keep them both sitting in their chairs and eating their dinner and then bedtime 7 p.m just just when the nxt show was happening so trying to get them into bed as quick as i could they must have been looking at me wondering why why is daddy reading these books so quickly tonight like <laughs> flying fl- flying through the books and everything like that so yeah not too convenient for for for, for the wrestling dad unfortunately and like i was just saying to beto off air I, I kind of you had the two shows going concurrently, and I had great plans to stay up for AEW as well. Like, mm-hmm. but by the time eleven o'clock came, I was kind of halfway through NXT UK. My head was nodding, and I just said, "Look, I'm just going to have to give up on on the NXT sh- on the on the AEW show. Go to bed early and get up early tomorrow morning before the kids wake up and get the rest of the matches watched that I needed for this podcast. So, yeah, highly inconvenient these UK times, as I said. Maybe these these the American times are much much better for me. I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, um, I was enjoying it this week. Uh, I'm the complete opposite, obviously, these shows start in uh, convenient times for us. But, um, I mean, before we got into the Saturday, there was um, the first big show of the weekend was Red Pro's Summer Sizzler event on Friday night at York Hall in Bethnal Green. I mean, sadly, none of us uh, could make it down for that show, um, headlined by a huge David Starvey-Willispray match for control of the company. But, yeah, um, Friend and contributor to the show, uh, Will Cooling, has kindly sent us um, a live report in. So take it away, Will.
3: This is Will Cooling of Personal and Torch, and I'm here with a quick recap of uh, Summer Sizzler. Um, the main event is probably, maybe, de- I'd say controversial, but I think I'm just in a minority of one, because <laughs> um, you had uh, Will Ospreay defeating David Starr. And basically, um, the kind of conflict you have with here is so that this is, a, in reality, first time uh, meeting of the, of the two of the best wrestlers in the world. Technically, they've faced before, but it was um, Osprey under a mask um, doing his lucha gimmick. Um, and so I think a lot of people wanted this to be like a dream match, to be kind of a clean, no-gaga match. But the storyline that Refro really have done a great job of building for over 18 months is of this feud between David Starr and Andy Quilden. Uh, David Starr claiming that there's a conspiracy against him um, um, whilst using every nefarious tactic in the book um, and managing to get the fans to overlook that fact. And so the way they kind of... And so that dynamic meant you needed to have quoted involved, you needed to have cheating, you need you you ideally had callbacks to all the time Starr used, his personal official, Shea Purser. And so what you got was... Twenty-five minutes of like just a sensational match. I was sitting next to uh, Grapple Spotlights, uh, JB Hulahan, um, and I went to him at one point and said, "You'd think these guys had ten matches together." Um, so intricate were the exchanges, and um, the way they were they were reversing and then countering each other's moves. And then you got a load of Gaga, where um, Star they knocked the ref down. Star um, threatens. Pursa comes in and starts trying to help Star to win. They then knock that ref down. Star then threatens to use a title belt. Quilden comes in. Uh, They have a talk of war. Then Star threatens to stamp on that IWGP heavyweight title. But he may not fear NXT UK, but but Quilden fears Ghetto. So Quilden made sure to knock him out. Um, They then actually have Quilden wailing on Star... You then get a brief moment where they're literally threatening to do a boxing match. That looked like the scene from Mad Men uh, where Pete Campbell has a, has a boxing match in the office. But Quilden then runs away. Um, and ultimately you get Osprey beating Star um, when he kind of when kind of puts the thumbs down. Uh it seems like maybe a heel turn for Quilden, uh, which will be interesting to see how they go on from there. But, like, to me, 25, 25 minutes is brilliant. The next 15 minutes is, I can understand why people don't like it. But as I said at length on my own show, uh, uh, British Restaurant Report, it was earned, it was true to situation. And from where I was standing, it got over with the crowds. And it certainly helped with some of the uh, big near falls. Um... The other big match um in terms of refro storylines was the Undisputed Cruiserweight uh title match. This was actually quite interesting because this actually had much less goggle than you might expect, because El Fantasmo uh faced Michael Oku. Basically won uh, clean. Um did, did, did no particularly out- outlandish cheating um uh, but by the standards of his uh current matches. But again, just really good. Oku's crazy over, the crowd love him. Um, they did They did get you to believe um, a, a couple of points he could win, including actually some really good stuff with his uh, rolling uh, half-crab. I actually thought he, he, he might submit out Phantasmo. Um, they did a really uh, clever bit where they teased Oku losing by count-out after Phantasma kind of whip, whips him into the uh, railings that played off the uh, finish of the uh, Elias, uh cooper match. I mean, this was fun. Um I hope we see these guys again, and Oku is the one to uh, take the title off uh phantasmo uh, um because there's a lot there's a lot of potential um with him as kind of the figurehead of the Cruiserweight title, but probably not the right time because A because phantasmo has got bigger things to do in new Japan and also because oku's still young and raw we had uh, the two we had obviously this match i uh, this show had three uh, big tag team matches. The Suzuki-Yun versus uh, Tanahashi and Okada was a great match. Um, it's like, it's a weirdo, like, I would say, like, it's not one you have to go out of your way to watch on VOD because it's just those guys having their match. We've all seen it before. The, of course, the point is it was special to see it live in your call where you're that close to everybody. Part of the the atmosphere, particularly because you've got this... Really cool dynamic um, in the UK of it of the UK becoming Suzuki-gun territory due to Zach, due to our often Aminoro was over last year, which obviously we saw on a much bigger scale at uh, the Copper Box the next day. The other two matches um, were very good in ring, but both had their issues. So the the, the first tag team match was CCK, uh, Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham going up against Dan Maloney and McKinnon. Um, this this should have been a special moment for all four men. All four men kind of hark back to the uh the planet era of Fight Club Pro. Um when Gresham when the the three Brits were kind of making starting starting out in the business and Gresham was coming over to Wolverhampton much more frequently than he does now. And the first ten minutes was was really good. Uh B- Brooks and Gresham looked on point compared to uh February. Um um, Gresham seemed to be playing more of a babyface, which always suits him. Uh, Maloney was was interacting really well with him. There they, was actually some good comedy of um, Malone, uh, Gresham desperately trying to get uh, Brooks to tag in, but Maloney just but Brooks wouldn't let him, and so Maloney just kept beating him up um, until uh, Gresham uh, hit him low, and then Brooks would take advantage. Alas, um, poor MK um, uh, had a shocker um he he tagged in um maloney kind of uh kneeled down to, to be his base for so mckinnon could be springboard uh springboarded into gresham in the corner first attempt he trips before he reaches maloney and kind of lands awkwardly on top of him they they repeat the spot again this time he trips on maloney and headbutts gresham in the leg uh, Gresham has to roll out injured. Um, match is, a ca- is 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 uh, is cancelled. Um, is is uh, due to the injury. Absolute absolute shocker. Uh, McKinnon didn't quite look right um, even before he tagged in, but that's an awful awful botch. And you know, McKinnon's been cold since he's came back from a uh, return to leave, and since the abrupt end uh, non end of the Greater Khan feud. And you, you have to wonder whether we might have seen this last appearance in Ref Pro, to be honest. Um, and then we had other issues with the other uh, tag team match, which was Aussie Open, um, uh, defeating Josh Brodom, Shaw Samuels. Much like that, the, the other match, this was going really well, some really good action. These guys have crazy brawling uh, chemistry. Um, the Aussies were going for what seemed to be like a near four on Brodom, and it got free. Although, I think a lot of people have said, from their angle, Bodum clearly had his shoulders up um, before three, and the referee had screwed up. Bodum certainly was acting like the referee had screwed up because he kicked the ever-living shit out of the poor referee. <laughs> so angry was he at the uh, at the free count. There was a bit of confusion, which actually you could see, Like these four, all four of these guys were great, but obviously the veteran in the ring is Samuels. And Samuel just took the microphone and kind of smoothed the situation over, so uh, the 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 Aussies could then have the stage to give their promo, hyping up that big match at the uh, Copper Box. Um, the Aus like it was a great, it was fun for what it was. It ended too too quickly. It was, however, followed followed by a fantastic confrontation between the Aussies and Grinners of Destiny. Grillas of Destiny seemed like absolute superstars when they came out. Massive reaction. Um, the duel enchants between the Aussies and the, uh, Tongans were genuine duel enchants. And the same in the copper box. You know, you had your Grillers of Destiny's fans. No, really, guys. I saw it with my own two eyes. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't. Um, and, and the Aussies being cheered by different people. And it just created a tremendous atmosphere. You could tell that, uh, Tama Tonga in particular was loving it. Talking of guys getting better reactions than we might assume in our bubble. Uh, Jamesy's favorite wrestler, who's not called Dan Maloney, uh, Sonata, um was the surprise sixth entrant in the uh, six-way scramble, other guys being Hikileo, Speedball, Mike Bader getting a chance to hang with the New Japan guys, Robbie Eagles, Rocky Romero and Sensei Voloto, uh, Sonada. Popped the roof off your call. Cool. big, big reaction again came off like a huge, huge superstar. Um, and then <laughs> had a very sonata performance where he did a few things to begin with, disappeared, then came back to get the victory with the score. <laughs> um, one thing to say, um, um, obviously, the, 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 the one controversial thing about this card going in was no women's match. Um, so Luke is not defending the championship. I will say, in slight defence of Revolution Pro Wrestling, even though I don't particularly agree with this, it did seem like she was a person holding things together as floor manager. Um, like she was a person organising, like not just the merch table, but also when like it came to Sonada um, uh, at doing a, an impromptu meet and greet in intermission, she was a person organising that. So they may actually be and just for her too much <laughs> to make sure these your call cool shows run properly um, to uh, to put her in matches, which is a bit backwards for your women's champion, but it's uh, better than him being a mad sex. I say, but yes, yeah, so that was Summer Sizzler and um, a couple of few other matches, but uh, they were lower card matches. Don't need to go into, but I I I really enjoyed the show. I think there's a really good atmosphere. There's a good balance between storyline and in ring action. And Will Ospreay, David Starr is a pretty crazy match in so many ways. Uh, But yes, you can catch me at prowrestlingtorch.com or on Twitter at WillCalling. And I'll now return you...
0: So, oh, thanks to Will sending that in. And, um, I mean, tons of controversy around this main event between <laughs> Osprey and Star. I mean, there was some really conflicting reports. we were in, And, obviously, we haven't had a chance to see this match yet to hit BOD yet. But, I mean, what did you make from uh, Will's report there, Beno?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think Will runs contrary to pretty much Every other take I've seen on the internet, like my Twitter timer, and I'm sure both of yours is kind of the same, is running the same circles, was just full of people really, really unhappy with the interference in the Osprey David star match and the focus on Andy Quilden. Uh, and obviously, yeah, as we've just heard, Will's got a bit of a, a different take on that. Um, uh, my friends Joe and JP would do the Spotlight podcast. I think they're more in league with Will. I think they were all together at the show. I think sometimes that could happen, can't it? When you kind yeah, of yeah. You, have a, you have a chat after the show and you kind of come to a, I don't know, you you can influence each other's take. But I do believe them. I think usually they're the guys that I would agree with. So I'm, I think I'm kind of feeling that. I, I get what, well, I think maybe the biggest complaint really is people saying that, it was too much interference and it sounds like a lot, you know, with Quilden getting in the ring and then getting chased around the ring and then the back and forth with the belt. And it it did sound like a like a lengthy period of, you know, Schmoz style, you know, Russo style almost booking. So I, I do kind of get some of the grumbling, but yeah, as Will says, I think this is what that feud was. Uh, it's you know eighteen months or so of David Starr with heel referees and feuding with Andy Quilden and you know, but all of the the stuff that you know that comes with that. And I think yeah, that was probably what you should expect in a match with you know that kind of is is put together to to pay that off. I do have some sympathy though because I, I think maybe you know maybe that doesn't forgive them entirely. You know maybe. That wasn't the direction to go with in the first place for a supposed sports-based kind of promotion like RevPro attempts to be and being kind of the UK, New Japan, or New Japan, UK, as its critics might sometimes call it. So, you know, maybe that doesn't get them out of jail entirely, but... Yeah, I think that's kind of what I expected out of the match. So I wasn't hugely shocked. But I suppose, yeah, if you were expecting, you know, it's Will Ospreay and David Starr, and you're expecting some kind of dream match. It sounds like, well, you maybe got that for the first 15, 20 minutes. All the stuff tacked on the end wasn't for uh, for everybody's taste.
0: Well, yeah, and I also suppose, um, this is coming off a long show, I think it ran something like, you know, well over three hours, right. didn't it, so I suppose when you, you're in there, and, I, and it's always very hot in York Hall, so, you oh. know, and after you've had a few beers and things like that, oh. also, <laughs> I'll you. just, just <laughs> to go from what you said there, Red Pro, or usually, you know, with the sort of, like, sports influence company, and it was weird when I did see the poster come out, and Andy Quilden's face was on it, and I was like, what is this now, <laughs> ICW, you know, that's something that you'd see out of Mark Dallas, isn't it, and, um, yeah. But I've got to confess, I was the high person on the Pac Osre match. I enjoyed the first 25 minutes of that one and I really appreciated what had come before. I mean, we got a really shit finish on that, but I still enjoyed the match despite that. So perhaps it'll be the same here. But, James, it does sound like they did throw everything in the kitchen sink in those last 10 minutes, didn't it?
2: Yeah, big time. And, I like, I suppose, like, when you see a run time for a match of, of 40 minutes, and like I, I will have things to say about forty-minute matches when we get to the, the shows we're going to talk about in a while. Like that immediately, it doesn't necessarily set me running out to see a match when I see the main event is that long. Like you know, it, it needs to be an exceptional match to hold my interest for that long. You know, and I suppose the the other thing about 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 that show as a whole is like you have to remember people were probably a little bit kind of on edge anyway because there was there was things went wrong on that show. Um, that would have affected people's enjoyment of it as well. Like, you know, you had the the CCK tag match was cut short because of an injury to Gresham. Um, it, it sounds like there was a botched finish to the Aussie Open match against uh, Bodum and, and Sha, um, Sha Samuels. So like that, that's two matches that were quite high profile matches on the card that, that didn't really go to plan. So like, you know, when you're at a show and kind of th- things haven't been going well, but you kind of look at that main event of Star Osprey and go, well, at least we'll get a great match there. And then you get what was given. So you you know it's understandable maybe that people weren't annoyed, and maybe not everyone who was there is following Rev Pro in detail. Because in mm-hmm. fairness to Rev Pro, um, this is the uh, as you guys said, this is this whole thing was a culmination of eighteen months to two years of a storyline. Like you know, if we are to believe Rev Pro. David Starr has gone from the company and he's pretty much been the guy who's carried that company for, for the last two years. So like th- that deserves a kind of a major blow off, I think, you know. And I mean, th- th- there are parts of that storyline that needed tying off, like the heel referee thing, the whole controversy with the belt and that kind of thing. So in fairness to them, we criticize Rev Pro for not telling stories and we, we criticize them before for being a dream match promotion. And then when when they blow off a big two year angle. And they tie up all the the moving parts of that angle in pretty neat parts. we still criticize them, so it's it's a bit you know if you're ref pro, you're kind of looking at it well there are people ever happy with things you know so um definitely like I can't wait to see it because it's it really had people like some people walked out of the building before the match even ended they were so angry, you know other people were or you know couldn't believe that that there were people calling it what did I see somebody say calling it? Rev pros version of the ROH Madison Square Garden show, which I think is a bit over the top, you know. So <laughs> um but you know, controversy creates cash and I'm dying to see this show and it'll be a Rev Pro show that the minute it comes out, I'll be fast forward to that main event and I'll be looking at it, you know. So in terms of, <laughs> they, they still have people's interest if nothing else, you know. So yeah, fascinated to see. And, and like, we, we, we'll we get to see if Will was right or not in a few weeks, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the very definition of a Marmite match. I was looking on uh, the Grapple app and the ratings range mm. from 0.25. <laughs> yes, 0.25 uh, all the way up to 4.7 five so i mean i mean as far yeah. as the scale goes that's just, uh, one extreme to the other but as, as far as david star leaving red pro um i think it, it names european bob on twitter follow him he's a great guy on twitter he said that you know it'd be great if they uh david star back for six months under a mask or him like el staro or something like that i thought it would be quite hilarious <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting yeah, to that. see what they did do with somebody like that. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a ridiculous notion. And, you know, they shouldn't what bring him back that? under a mask sport. That was uh, quite a good <laughs> there from uh, Names Euro- European Bob. But uh, moving away from that and on to, you know, shows we have actually watched. And um, before we get to the main stuff from the UK, we had a few British participants in the big AEW All Out show that also happened on Saturday night, most notably Jimmy Havoc. In, a, in an ultraviolet three-way dance with uh, Darby Allen and Joey Janela. I mean, if you like plunder, then this was definitely the match for you. Uh, Avic using his trademark stapler on Janela, barrels being smashed left, right, and center. Uh, tons of insane bumps, especially from uh, Joey Janella and Darby And um, I really enjoyed this match, Benno. As far as this sort of style of match goes, this was uh, definitely one of the better uh, types of them.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, th- these kind of matches do... You know, I think I had John a way previewing it on the uh, the show of Jamesy. They they live and die by creativity, and you're gonna get creativity out of this lot. Uh, yeah, Darby Allen, let you say that, taking that cracker barrel bummer bump off the top, doing his uh, his coffin drop, just insane. Joey Janelle tried to kill himself several times in the match. Not mentioning Jimmy Havoc's name much because until he won, you'd kind of probably forget he was in there. He didn't seem to <laughs> quite quite a wise man. Didn't seem to take any of the nutty bumps in the match that I can remember. I suppose he caught that. Uh, that Janela Dive uh, when he was sat on the, the chair on the outside, but other than that, he seemed to get away relatively unscathed. He did a, a he repeat did have of a
0: that thumbtacks in his mouth for the majority of the match.
1: I suppose there is that, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty hardcore, I suppose. But yeah, they did that. Uh, that the repeat of that, they did the spot. I think it's super strong style. They've done it other times. Joe Janelle and Jimmy Havoc where they do the, uh, where ends up seated in the chair and he gets monkey flipped and he lands on the chair again. Great to see that in a in you know, in a big building in front of a, a, a large audience. And yeah, I thought it was absolutely awesome. But yeah, Jimmy Havoc kind of he got the win, so he kind of gets the headline. It kind of shows what. AEW think of Jimmy Havoc. They've obviously, they obviously think that they're, they're onto something there. But really, yeah, the stars of the match were really Darby Allen and and Joey Janela and willing to to kill themselves to to get Havoc over. But again, bit of a, a statement of of intent, I suppose. If out of those three, that's the one that uh, A W maybe think they can they can get behind a little bit more.
0: I suppose just before we jump into new Japan and WWE, what were your uh, thoughts on A W as a whole? I mean, I enjoyed the show. I thought it was a uh, way too long, but um, mm. I, I enjoyed. The majority of it, and certainly seeing Arn Anderson coming out, delivering that spine buster was was a great moment they created there.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. That whole, the whole thing with uh, MJF in Cody's corner and we're all just waiting for him to turn on him and they're doing the not-so-subtle things like MJF picking up the chair and then putting it back down again at the end of the match. And He's clearly going to turn on at some point, but I think the fun's going to be in, in watching that dynamic and watching MJF try and be a babyface. But yeah, I popped myself. When, when Arnoldson hit that spinebuster, it's more up the roll, isn't it, when he hits the roll afterwards and he rolls back out. He's still got it. Maybe he's a little bit slower, but but he's still got it. That was... That was Great stuff. I enjoyed that. I think it was maybe the lower end of of Cody's matches in AEW so far, but it was still strong. I still enjoyed it. Thought the ladder match was absolutely crazy. It was everything you'd expect. All the spots you expected them to hit, they hit. Um, so if you thought you, you'd enjoy that, you will enjoy that. Uh, I think you know up and down the card. Really, I thought it was fun, pack You know from a British perspective, uh, looked great against Kenny Omega. In for me, reigning in some of Kenny Omega's worst tendencies. Uh, I don't look. I, i do like kenny omega but i don't love him like some do uh and some of the stuff you know the finishing stretch of his matches that go a little bit overboard with the spamming of v triggers and all of that stuff you still got a bit of that but i did feel like pat kind of grounded the match in being kind of that no nonsense heel in there with them so really enjoyed that i thought it was interesting pat going over and kenny omega losing again Pac coming in with this kind of air of air around them of you know everyone knows the story of him allegedly you know not yeah. being able to lose uh and, and not be willing to lose to to hangman page um when he was supposed to debut for AEW last so it felt like he got a little bit of heat from that and they kind of carried that on um i do wonder i think was the story that he had like a five dates or something like that he hasn't signed a full-time contract i'm sure i read that somewhere um but they could really do some strong things with him i think i'd have i definitely have him at the top of the card as opposed to what we actually did get
0: yeah, it's it's weird with Pack, isn't it? Cause it's, it's, where does he go from this Kenny Omega match? Now, I mean, um, I'm not, I mean, I don't know what a, a match between him and Jericho would look like, really, for the championship. Mm.
1: Yeah, maybe you can't do that immediately. But you could go back to that Page match, couldn't you, and, and finally deliver that? Um, at this point, I'd be putting him over Adam Page anyway, because I do think Adam Page kind of there wasn't really much buzz around him in that Jericho main event, and it kind of died a bit of a death. It felt very. Uh, you know those old WCW cards where like the undercard was full of you know just yeah. great action from the cruiserweights and your your Benoit's and your Milenko's and your Guerrero's and your Jericho's and then you get to the main event and everything I kind of slow down to half speed and you get your quote unquote stars Jericho kind of feels like he's filling that role at the moment and yeah Paige unfortunately didn't feel ready for that main event so if you want to talk maybe disappointments on the card maybe there was that um, but again you can easily rectify that maybe inject some pack into your main events maybe get Kenny or Cody further up the card um all in all yeah and i'm still curious what a, a tv product of aw looks like and uh, whether they can resist the edge to do some of the crap that they've done on on previous pre-shows and resist stuff like the the dark order that's just never getting over it's never happening as much as they want to try um and some of the other silly librarian type comedy that they do um so i'm still a little bit mixed on on um, what you know, what the AW actual T V product's gonna look like, but you couldn't say it was a bad show, could you? All in all it was, there was another another fun night on a on a night where there was plenty of competition too.
0: Yeah, I think everybody remembers uh, Kevin Nash snoozing through those uh, WCW main <laughs> events. Yeah, literally snoozing yes. at some points. But um, <laughs> I also think uh, anyone who's had out to those OWE shows in the UK, uh, Luke Shores and Marco Stump were a ton of fun, I thought, in that opener. So mm-hmm. um, certainly yeah. team to watch out if you go into them shows. But anyway, moving away from uh, AEW and on to uh, the small matter of uh, New Japan's uh, Royal Quest uh, Around six to 7,000 people in the Copper Box um, Arena in London. Uh, this was a purpose-built venue for the 2012 Olympics. Venue looked absolutely fantastic on the VOD, and the crowd were raucous all night long. But, I mean, before we get into any of the matches, uh, we've got to talk about this stream from Fight, which, uh, for the first hour or so, was absolutely terrible. I mean commentary seemed to be filtering in and out could barely be heard at some points for the first three matches until it actually came on and it kept buffering and going to a holding card i mean terrible stuff here on the stream wasn't it jamesy
2: very very disappointing yeah like i mean you know there was a time when we nearly accepted these streaming issues as as just the way it was with live streaming for wrestling like i remember Many, many times getting refunds from, from Gabe Sapolsky and WWN for, for Evolve shows and for WWN shows over WrestleMania weekends where the stream completely died and that kind of thing. But the last two or three years, you know, with advances in technology and that kind of thing, that that really hasn't been the case anymore, you know. And like when you look at New Japan World, like I, you can count on one hand the amount of times I've ever had a problem with New Japan World. It, it's That on WWE Network, just rock solid streams all the time. Great quality and that's the quality we've become used to from these major companies, you know. And like I, I, in the chat I was having with, with John and Way there on Thursday night, we kind of talked about how the pricing of the show on Fight TV kind of played into WWE's hands in terms of who people would watch live on the night. Like mm. in euros, this show was 28 euros to buy, you know. Um, and when you're spending 28 euros on a show, You really want it to be, at the very least, you want to be able to watch it without any problems. You want to be able to hear the commentary from the start of the show, which wasn't the case here. Like, was it that we were into the first match before you could hear any commentary? Um, It wasn't until, I think, the fifth match on the show. I think it was... The Aussie Open and G.O.D. match, it kind of settled down from there on. And, and it was pretty OK. A few little blips in the main event again. But like that's not good enough. And like that would have driven people like people. A lot of people I saw on my timeline who had paid for the New Japan show moved across to NXT. They just gave up after two or three matches because it was unwatchable. So, they, they you know, they really dropped the ball in terms of there being a, a battle for people, for viewers and battle for eyeballs and that kind of thing. They shot themselves in the foot badly here you know and if they're going to work with fight tv in future and not put these shows on new japan world it has Mm. to be better than this like this just isn't good enough and especially as i said like that's a ludicrous amount of money to charge for a single show in 2019 when when you can get three months of the network for the same amount or three months of new japan world with all the the stuff that's on there for one show the very minimum you expect is to be able to watch it Mm. and hear commentary and watch the matches without interruption like there were a lot of these matches that I kind of yeah, I was trying to make notes on and I couldn't in the early matches because it was just so interrupted you know and even even today I, I decided I'd go back to watch the Osprey match because that was quite bad in terms of the buffering and that kind of thing I went back onto the Fight TV app and loaded the show up and skipped back to the Osprey match and the replay is a direct replay of the show we saw, so yeah, you God. still have yeah you, yeah you you like usually the first thing that happens is they fix that up and put it up so that the replay at least is there for people to watch, but you've still got that that um screen coming up where you know we get we fight t v has no connection at the moment, they're still jerking they're, they're still you see people setting up a move, and then the thing kind of goes off and comes back and they're two or three minutes ahead in the match and that kind of thing and on the replay, the sound is terrible you, you hear people throwing chops. And then two seconds later, you hear the impact of it. That's really annoying. Like when you're trying to watch a pinfall and you see the referee doing the count, and then you and then the pinfall, you hear later, and it's it just completely takes you out of these matches. You know what I mean? And it's just not good enough for, for you know you accept it maybe from a small indie to some extent, but from a big company like New Japan, it really, really isn't good enough.
1: Um, that's it. I, I I was kind of, I was in a house full of Liverpool supporters who were wanting to watch the Liverpool <laughs> game, and I was gonna, I was gonna stream. Going I know, I know, it hurts, but well, I was the one Jeez. Evertonian, and I I was trying to stream the show at the same time as them watching the match, and it was just, it wasn't working. Just no chance. Like even the intro was screwed up, and you know, I I won't complain as loudly as others because luckily I had the the fight credit to buy it. I haven't got much of that left, unfortunately, but I, I didn't pay money for it, but I paid fight credits. But you're right, even you know, if I'd have paid. 25 quid for it or whatever it turned out to be i would have been absolutely fuming uh and like you said jamesy e, the sound's still fucked on the replay now when you try and watch it a hard hard and match like Kenter and ishii you need that sound don't you oh, yeah, for the yeah, for absolutely. the big strikes and it just it absolutely kills it and it makes it nowhere near as fun like yeah i was unfortunately you know unable to make it live to the show um i really wish i'd maybe put the extra effort into going because uh, <laughs> i can't too, remember yeah. saying I mean, I think the thing is with, like, a, a big stadium show, I always think, ah, you know, it's not as good as, like, an intimate, you know, a few hundred people kind of show. I, that's more my thing from a live perspective. But if I watch it on the stream, I'll get the same experience. And we didn't really. Like, I was – we kind of left it, watched a bit of NXT TakeOver, tried to tried to go back to, to the stream after that Liverpool game had finished and tried to watch it on delay. And about 40 minutes in, it just froze and wouldn't play anymore. And I think the whole stream shit the bet at that point. So, yeah, that's – probably why i'm so knackered from spending the last 24 hours trying to catch up even the even the dodgy websites the website you're not supposed to go and watch wrestling on those ones uh even they have got the same version of the show where you know it's all messed up so there's not even a backdoor way of doing it the problem is on fights end and they you know as great as they are with streaming and you know i love them with all my fight books but you know when they usually, things do wrong, usually they are but when they things are, go wrong really and ground, it does yeah. It does happen over Mania weekend. When there are problems, sometimes it takes a while for them to rectify it. If the sound's off or there was a problem with the live feed from the show, it can take them a couple of days to rectify it, and it does sound like one of those cases, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think the uh, the $6,000 in the building definitely, definitely uh, won this one as far as uh, an experience of watching it.
0: Well, yeah, because obviously, the, like you know, the, uh, James, the stream really sorted itself out uh, for that Aussie Open against Tamatonga and Tongaloa match. So, uh, but I mean, the first two matches were nothing to sort of really write home about anyway. It was just uh, for them to see the crowd and the crowd to see them. We mm. had uh, Rapongi 3K and Rocky Romero against Taguchi, Shota Umino, and Ren Narita. And, uh, yeah, like I noted before, from the bits we did see from this match, uh, the copper box looked fantastic. Uh, crowd was uh, was, I mean there was a lot of sound issues, but the crowd was well mic'd and you could certainly hear them in in droves. Uh, lots of singing for for all these guys in the, the in the first match. Uh, Rocky got a great elevation. Lots of flying hip attacks from Taguchi. Uh, very short match, but just uh, really just to get the guys out there and uh, kick the show off. And we moved into the second match, which was. Kota Ibushi and Juice Robinson against uh, Takahashi and uh, Hikileo. Is that how you pronounce his, his name? I've only seen him a couple of times.
1: Yeah, Hikileo.
0: There yeah. you go. And uh, I mean, obviously, the crowd were well behind Ibushi and Juice. Uh, probably the first time a, a lot of these people have seen Ibushi live. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Com- uh, commentary sort of sort of drifting into this first match. Uh, we can only hear <laughs> one of them, uh, so it was just him talking to silence, as it sounded like uh, from us watching on the on the stream. Um, yeah, similar to the first match. Uh, not a great great deal to get your teeth into. Just um, you know uh, for the crowd to see uh, Ibushi and Juice, and Ibushi is finisher for the win. Um, nothing really in these uh, first two matches. I didn't think here, uh, Jamesy.
2: No, no. Um, like the biggest takeaway from it is is literally how knowledgeable I think the fans in the building were, and how how into everyone they were. You know what I mean? And especially I think Juice and Ibushi. And like I, one little grumble I did see in the run up to the show was Ibushi being in this match, you know, and Ibushi not being showcased in in a major match. Like of all the guys in the New Japan roster, he's he's the guy who hasn't really been over yet or, or had a, had a big match in the UK. Like everyone else has been over at some point. I know he did that independent show a few years ago, but I I don't think Revful have ever brought him over. And, you know, I think some people maybe wanted to see him in a bigger match. My suspicion is that maybe it's just that ankle injury and, and he's he's just taking it easy at the moment and giving it a rest because, I mean, the, the match was nothing. You know what I mean? It was just a chance yeah. for the crowd to see Kota Ibushi and a chance for the crowd to see Juice Robinson. Two guys were massively over. And yeah, as I said, the, the big takeaway was just the receptions. Even the young lines, like the receptions they got. You know what I mean? It's it's, And that's the thing that New Japan need to be keeping an eye on. This is a hungry crowd for wrestling, a knowledgeable crowd that treats their talent like superstars. Even the guys who are the young lions, they're treating them like, like these major stars and that's going to be huge, I think, in, in maybe New Japan coming back in future.
1: Mm, definitely, because it's kind of, it It shocked me as well because I thought that maybe, you know, the live crowd would be made up of some hardcore New Japan fans, maybe a lot of Bullet Club fans, but you're right, even the, the tiniest of little spots or, you know, the, you know, recognizable spots like an you know, Okada Dropkick, the people were so into it yeah. and it did feel like a crowd full of 6,000 hardcores, which is interesting because I think as Dave Meltzer reports before, there's what 10,000 subscribers outside the Japan or New Japan world Maybe there's a lot of people on the audience on those uh, those same watch wrestling websites. I was trying to watch this <laughs> on, yeah, on there, but yeah, it, it was I did, that was my biggest takeaway from these first couple of matches. Just how into it the crowd were, and you could tell that even though there were sound problems, and even though you could only hear, like you said, Martin, one of the commentators at certain points. But they were reacting to all the big spots. It looked like a New Japan show, which was kind of my worry. I did think you know they did a decent job. You know, last year with the the Altringham show and the you know the mini tour they did with Rev Pro, but it didn't. Hunt Percent look like New Japan to me. This looked a lot more like New Japan, even if the ring looked like it seemed seen maybe slightly better days. And you know, we didn't get the full ring announcer experience, but all in all, yeah, it looked like everyone there was having a good time. It looked like a proper New Japan show. And with regards to Kota ibushi getting flown out, I thought that was weird as well. But then I saw him on Twitter posting a photo that he'd been to Tesco and he'd uh, got himself a, a good stash <laughs> of, he had three sandwiches. He had three drinks and only had two lots of pineapple fingers, I noticed. So I was thinking nobody's clued him up on the meal deal here. I think Kota has gone into Tesco <laughs> and just just got a whole load of stuff and no one's helped him out with getting a discount. So that's my main take. Somebody needs to uh, clue Kota Ibushi on, on, the, uh, on the joy of the uh, the British three-pound meal deal. Maybe you should go to Tesco next time. Maybe that.
2: I'm surprised a man with his abs even eats bread. I thought of better I like, was shocked myself. Yeah, I, would, I thought a better <laughs> like him wouldn't have had a slice of bread in about ten years. Wow. But, but he's one of the people that can eat whatever he wants, and he still looks yeah, like that. Yeah, I bet yeah, he
1: yeah. is.
0: Perhaps <laughs> yes, it was yeah. his cheat weekend. He was like, "I'm not in Japan. I'll just uh, go out and eat all the carbs in the world." So, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> was,
0: uh, but yeah, if you're that's listening it. to Bushi, then you know, uh, just give Benno a call next time you come over. He'll be able to sort you out it. all oh. the deals, harem <laughs> food.
1: Actually, yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. I'll take him to
0: and uh, moving on to the third match, we had uh, El Fantasmo and Ishimori against Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles. And uh, obviously, massive reaction for Osprey, like the conquering hero coming in here. And he was well up for this. I mean, it was a really short match. We, uh, anything Osprey did, he was bouncing all over. You could see he was so happy to be getting this reaction and being back home. But uh, for the majority of this, it was Robbie Eagles uh, in the match uh, uh, and obviously Osprey coming in for the hot tag, very short match again. I thought Eagles and Osprey worked really, really well as a team. Obviously both wearing matching gear, looked really good together. Fun match. Osprey on the mic after after the win, uh, challenging Phantasma and Ishimori for their junior tag belts. But similar to the second match, this was just a chance for the crowd to uh, see the homecoming hero here, Jamesy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um I, I suspect again, maybe just Osprey being a little bit banged up after all the matches he's had and, and and he just maybe just wanted to have a kind of a lesser match on the card. Um, yeah and I mean not a match that, that you'll be remembering in a few weeks time or anything like that a good fast paced junior heavyweight tag I'd say um, it felt more like almost like an angle where, where it's the first match in a rivalry where, where they get the win over the, the junior tag team champions and it gives them the right to have maybe a bigger match on a bigger stage in future um, but yeah like I, I appreciated the efforts that Osprey and Eagles put into to kind of looking like a proper tag team they even had the, the, their own name the Birds of Prey um, they've done some work on, on some double team moves and that kind of thing like I really like the finisher they had there the double Spanish fly kind of gave me flashbacks to you remember the, the Maximos back in ROH back in the mid 2000 Bano doing their double Spanish mm-hmm. fly is the first time I ever saw that move been done I think um, and yeah just it, it was it was the, maybe the match where the stream was at its worst nearly like it, it nearly ruined my enjoyment of the match completely but yeah like, like you know when we list out Osprey's best matches of the year like this won't even come into consideration you know it's a chance to, to, for him to be on the card and in a way like it, it's it's like I would have thought him being in a singles match was a no brainer. But now when you think about it, like this show was a huge success. And now you can kind of have his first singles match on a new Japan proper show in the UK as maybe your kind of your reason to get people back in the second time. You know what I mean? So they, they haven't given us everything on the first show and you know, they've kind of held that back. And maybe that can be the reason to draw people. Maybe he can be in the main event the next time.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I agree with that. It was definitely a match where he was just sort of like resting up, and um, you know, you got to see some of his big moves, but um, nothing
1: really more to take away from it than that. Um,
0: I didn't (laughs) think Benno.
1: No, definitely not. I just agree with Jamesy that, like, I kind of. Did a double take with Ospreay mixing it up with the juniors again. I know he's the champion, but it kind of feels like he should be above this now. And he's bigger than the other three in the match. But that was my same takeaway watching it. I was thinking, you know what? They've sold 6,000 tickets here. Doesn't matter, does it? Ospreay can come back next time make it be in the main match, and they can make a, a massive deal about that, so no, don't think it's it's any big loss. It was a fun match for for what we all saw of it, and yeah, saves us a, a little bit in the tank for next time, and yeah, I'm sure uh, Osprey will be well up for it again when they get to do it again.
0: And next up, we had uh, Naito and Sonada taking on Jay White and Chase Owens. Uh, Naito and Sonada really, really over with this crowd. Uh, stream was awful at this point, really, for this match. Uh, sort of some bits, it was just the match that sort of really happened. I mean, I know the stream was awful, but as far as I could tell, Naito spent more time messing around with his, uh, with his entrance uh, suit than he did in the match. I think he must have took like one bump in this match, Jamesy.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's Naito for you. Like, we, myself and Benno and the lads would have talked on the Grapple podcast about, like, even in the G1 Naito is a kind of a guy who'd sleepwalk through three or four nights in a row and not really extend himself in these matches. So when you get Naito on an undercard tag over in over in Europe, you're not going to get an awful lot from him. You know what I mean? And and that's fine. You know, again, there is no need for these third or fourth matches on the card to, to, to be blowing people away or anything like that. Again, the crowd were delighted to see Naito. They were delighted to see LIJ there. They're, you know, they are big stars. I continue to be half impressed <laughs> and half baffled by the incredible popularity of Sonata. Like, like that guy, you know. I, I've I've kind of I, I've given out about him a lot in the past, and he's not for me as a wrestler. But you can't argue with the fact that the guy is 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 a star, and he's beloved by people like that. That's that's now Japan, where where night in night out in the G one, people were chanting for him. We saw it in Dallas, where the crowd went mad for him. And now we've seen it in London as well, you know, so mm-hmm. whether we like him or not, people do like him and they do have a star on their hands with him, you know what I mean? And I suppose if nothing else, it will be interesting to see where he goes in the future, I suppose, and and what comes of this match against Okada and and how being kind of not the top guy in LIJ, does that hold him back? Like, you know, he's not the leader of of the faction. And usually it's kind of the leader of the faction is the guy who kind of gets the big push. So that's, you know, the, the, at the at, at the very least there'll be an interesting storyline there, even if we don't like yeah. the wrestling. Yeah, that's it. It's like that, that's what struck me as well.
1: Like the across the weekend as well, you know, I believe Zonadra on the Rev Pro Show kind of got a, a hero's welcome as well. Is, is it the fact that they're over here so much. Like, we'll complain that, you know, Sonada, Naito, Evil, they're on those Rev Pro shows, they turn up in the t-shirts and they put in after shift and they go home. But the fact that they are here so much, maybe that's kind of built them a bit of a, an extra fan base. Maybe that explains it a little bit as well. Because, yeah, they were crazy over and... So was the Bullet Club team too as well. I think I know it's a, it's only Chase Owens. Um uh, but as soon as you get that, you know somebody comes out in a Bullet Club t shirt, as we found out later on the night with G O D as well. Then there's a section of the fan base that are always gonna lose their minds. Um and Jay White was Jay White here as well. Um kind of a, a bit of a, an off night for him. Um surprised maybe he wasn't in more prominent position. Um but then again, you know, again you can save him and do, do a big match next time for the people who are fans of him. Uh, but yeah, but for me, really, this was a from, yeah, from what we saw of it as the stream settled down, more of a match that was just uh, notable for the the actual crowd reactions rather than any particularly good work that happened within the uh, the twelve odd minutes.
0: And then moving on, we start getting into uh, the really good stuff on this card. As we had uh, G.O.D. taking on Aussie Open. Obviously, Aussie Open won that Red Pro tournament uh, with the. Final match on, on the Friday night at Summer Sizzler uh, to get a shot at the, uh, at the tag titles. And Aussie's uh, got a great ovation from the crowd here. They had uh, new gear. And they looked like they really belonged with the Bullet Club members here, I thought. We had a, a really mm-hmm. long dueling chance to start the match. Uh, I mean, G.O.D. were on the offense for most of the early going, uh, cutting the ring off and keeping Fletcher away from Davis, which always works well for them with um, with um, the Davis getting the hot tag from... Fletcher, and it, it really picked up. I mean, we had um, some annoying outside interference from Jaddo. Um, we had splashes and headbutts from um, from G.O.D. only getting two from Kyle. And after a comeback from the Aussies, G.O.D. Uh, the finishes for the win uh, Really impressed uh, from Aussie Open here. Um, I was always worried when they talk about them heading over to New Japan. They might not look like they fit, fit in, but um, definitely now they've uh, upped their gear and, um, and they certainly really impressed me here, Bennett.
1: Yeah, I think that was the biggest negative going against them—the uh, look thing—and I've kind of expressed that in the past. And I think you're right. You know, as Carl Fletcher's gotten bigger and Mark Davis has gotten smaller, it's been less of an issue, hasn't it? It's still not perfect. They do look a little bit indie, but they had the the fresh gear here, didn't they? And they kind of they did, you know, look like they were they were well up for the occasion. Uh, I think they've always that problem's always been. You know, we always hear you know, the stories about Tanahashi being this big fan of Kyle Fletcher. But the problem is, like, you know, is he a junior or a heavyweight? You know, Mark Davis, I suppose he's very much a heavyweight, but does that make them a heavyweight team? I think now you can, you can pretty much make that argument for them being a proper heavyweight team. And yeah, this was another one where I think, god were surprisingly popular for me uh but again throw a bullet club shirt on something and people are gonna cheer but i think the aussies you know weren't drowned out by that i think they were hugely over too uh they got a really long shine at the start of the match and you know although you know G- god went over because of course they were always to, and it was relatively straightforward with you know their big finish off the top the aussies still got to hit you know their big spots they still got a lot of chance and they still got to look good and what a story, you know, they, they mentioned it on commentary and, you know, they, we've all heard the story before, you know, they came, both came over here separately and the, mm. you know, the, I think they were aware of each other before, but they, you know, they didn't really know each other too well. And then they started teaming in the UK and as they'll always tell you, they, they are a UK team because of the fact that that's where that chemistry developed and this is where they've they've gotten so good. So, as much as it's kind of a success story, you know, from an Australian point of view, I think from a, a Brit Res point of view, it's a success story. And, yeah, hopefully, you know, New Japan took a look at them um and hopefully you know with that Rev Pro relationship Tag League's coming up they can use them there as well because again you know some minor con- you know concerns about maybe the luck in the past I think I'm over that now myself and hopefully yeah you know New Japan are too, and they get that shock because I think if they were in Tag League they could they could definitely uh, give that thing some life uh, maybe one of the the duller periods of uh, the New Japan calendar each year.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, as much as they are from Australia, I mean, uh, Mark Davis was all over Twitter this uh, past week saying that, you know, him and Kyle might have been uh, mm-hmm. born in Australia, but they were certainly made in the UK as far as wrestling goes. So, yeah, I think they've certainly taken on the country as their own now. But, um, James, yeah, I mean, uh, GOD obviously, uh, usually get a lot of flack, but I thought they were pretty decent in this match.
2: Yeah, like, I, and I think sometimes... The criticisms, the criticism they get as a tag team is a bit harsh. I think they're a perfectly decent tag team. Um, I, I like. I think a lot of the criticism comes from when Tama Tonga kind of shows up in the G one as a singles guy, yes. and he's probably not at that level. And that's fair enough, you know. Um, and like none of us missed him this year in the G one. I don't think. But but G O D is a tag team. I, I always find are, are pretty good. Like I, I think they suffer more than anything from just the staleness of the tag division in New Japan, where it's, it's, it's almost feels like it's the same two or three teams wrestling each other over and over and over. And the same feud being recycled until everybody is sick to death of it. You know what I mean? But like here, I I thought they were good. Like they can work at a pretty fast pace. Um, I've seen them have some great matches with the Briscoes and ROH recently. Um, So when they're in with the team that can go, they're well able to keep up. Um, and I thought this was a good match again I don't think it was anything blow away I think the big takeaway from it is that if it was an audition for Aussie Open to kind of go to New Japan and get into New Japan I think they passed it with flying colors they looked like they belonged they they felt like stars coming out and as you guys said, a real feather in the cap for British wrestling, that two guys could come over from Australia, start at the very, very bottom working small shows, and this is the stage they end up on purely based on their work. Like they haven't really gone to America an awful lot. Um purely on their work in Europe, they've managed to get to this stage. And like that's that's the strength of British wrestling, that 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 people can improve and that people can Gain a fan base and and it is a route into the highest level for people. You know what I mean? And like, I mean, with with the way it has been cleared out lately, that's probably more true than ever before. And if you're a young wrestler, you know, coming through in a territory where there isn't an awful lot happening, you know, the same thing happened to El Fantasmo. He was tiling away in in kind of the, the, the northwest of Canada there for a long, long time. Not really getting anywhere. Comes to the UK within two years. He's, on, he's, he's pretty much going to be a full-time guy in New Japan from now on, you know, so that is a route people can take, and it doesn't have to be the WWE route either, you know, so that's probably the biggest takeaway I took from the match, just great to see those two guys that we've been watching for the last few years make it, really, you know.
0: Can you see the Aussies in Tag
1: League this year, Benno? Definitely, yeah, that's my take. I think that's... That's got to be where we're headed. I think, yeah. you know, Rev Pro, it's almost like ROH on uh, New Japan's best mates anymore. Maybe it, it can be Rev Pro. Um, and I'd like to see more of that. You know, we obviously we've seen El Phantasmo fly out and Osprey and Zach got a route to New Japan uh, through Rev Pro as well. I think Aussie Open are kind of the next logical step in that. And I think, yeah, it's no, don't think it's any uh, coincidence that they ended up on this show and Tag League is coming up. I think that's definitely got to be the plan. And, you know, uh, like you both said and like I said if this if this was a test the pass would fly colours and you would imagine you know just from how good they looked to the that New Japan will, will definitely be eyeing them up for Tag League if it's uh, not already booked already
0: and up next we had one of the matches that uh, people were most intrigued about over uh, for this Royal Quest show we had a uh, Tomohiro Ishii against Kenta for the Never open weight title and some mega booze here for Kenta as he came out and um, as usual with any issue match we had some excellent sort of like chops from Ishii on Kenta and um, certainly wasn't taking any of Kent's shit especially with the storyline leading into this match I thought this match was really intense uh, especially when uh, Kenta and Ishii were trading forearms the crowd were going absolutely crazy and they've been loud all the way through this but especially in this match and we even had some uh, dueling chants going on um, there was some interference from G.O.D. at the end. Um, and I heard uh, people thought the match was affected by... Uh, there was sort of like the 10 minutes towards the end. Uh, Kenta seemed to be seeing stars from uh, from one of the moves from Ishii. But I didn't think that affected the match too much. Um, Kenta ended up picking up the win and is the new never-open-weight champion. But I really, really enjoyed this match here, Jamesy.
2: Yeah, like... I, 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 the same as you, Martin. I, I didn't notice that when I was watching the live stream. um, But then I saw tweets from people saying, God, Kenta got not loopy during the middle of that match. So I I just went back today and had a look. And when you kind of look at it, knowing or or, or suspecting that it has happened, you can see a point where he himself and Ishii, they kind of, they trade these snap German suplexes and Kenta kind of takes the suplex from Ishii right on his neck. And he gets up and he kind of goes to throw He takes a while to get up and then the next move he goes to throw is is this kind of a a discus, kind of a rolling forearm, but he just kind of collapses into Kenta and he definitely is out of it for a while. Mm. And and, like the match does kind of go off the rails a little bit in that period. Like there's, do you remember that um, Ishii tries to get him up for a brain buster and it kind of collapses downwards into more of a suplex. Mm. And I think, again, it was I think again it was Kenta just, he wasn't quite with it and wasn't able to kind of, you know, the way there's an element of cooperation to a move like that where you expect the guy to hold himself up as well. And he just wasn't able to. And I think he was probably just dead weight to Ishii. So, you know, when I watched it back the second time, I did kind of see what people were talking about. And it kind of... Having having seen that that happened, then I was kind of wincing. Like there was a series of slaps that they threw soon afterwards, and it kind of felt like if she didn't really care that that Kenta might be concussed. <laughs> I, it almost felt like he wanted to slap the concussion out of him. <laughs> it was like yeah. His way around the, his way around the concussion is to hit somebody harder. And like w- w- when you kind of watch it and know what's happened, you kind of feel God, this is, this is a little bit difficult to watch and that kind of thing. But in fairness to Kenta, he, he did hold it together. He, he did manage to finish the match. And like again. I know that Kent is a heel and that kind of thing, but the, the interference kind of did affect the match a little bit for me at the end. You know what I mean? And it it did take away from it to some extent, but like, I definitely feel that Kenta is better as a heel. Like, you know, I, I had some reservations about him in the G1 where there was a chance for him to be a heel and he didn't lean into it properly. Kenta being a dick has always been the best Kenta, even back when he was in his prime, when he was being dismissive of his opponents and that kind of thing. And he gets to lean into that a little bit more now And he's not able to go like he was able to go 10, 15 years ago. Like, that's not the Kenta that's here anymore. So to be able to work a kind of a more methodical, heelish style definitely suits him better at this stage of his career. So that's my big takeaway of it, that that I I feel like I will enjoy heel Kenta an awful lot more, um, even though there will be the inevitable interference that comes with that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's interesting
1: because I kind of, I mean, I agree. I think Kenta, this story with him, you know, coming out with the belt, right time to do it the never belt doesn't mean anything anyway uh, you can change it at, at a moment's notice but to give him kind of a belt even if it is only the never belt and solidify that heel to, the heel turn and you know the, the amount of heat he got for winning the amount of heat he got at the start I thought that was all good stuff but interesting you say there, James about watching it twice because I was about to to disagree and say yeah for me I think my problem was I watched it with that knowledge. I didn't get to see this match live. I only watched watched okay. it maybe an hour after it happened, and I was watching it with the knowledge of the fact that Kenton was knocked out, and you can't help but look for it. So they, I think it kind of changed my mentality yeah, watching it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it kind of I was really enjoying the first. 15 minutes of the match, yeah, baby, you know, his ten yeah, minutes yeah. of the match, and, and then, yeah, it did, I think, because I was watching for it, when he's out, I kind of picked up the same thing as you, that I think there were points, to be fair, to Ishii, where, you know, instead of forearm and in the head, he was kind of getting a bit of shoulder, he was trying to be nice, but yeah, then there yeah. did come a point where, yeah, they were both sat on the floor and just exchanging bombs anyway, so at that point you'd almost feel like Ishii's like, come on, man up, let's go, let's do some more, let's I do some more hits to the head. Yeah, yeah I, heard, I heard CM Punk talk about it, he did a uh, that interview didn't he at starcast over the weekend and he was saying there's like a uh, a bit of a toxic men- uh masculinity mentality in wrestling where if you're hurt you don't want to admit it and you want to just and people work through injury and never want to admit that they should maybe be taken out of big matches like this it was never happening with a kenter and an ishi but it did make it maybe a little bit uncomfortable from my point of view just because i knew what had happened and you know maybe the like you said, the interference at the end would have maybe soured me on the match a little bit anyway, because I, I didn't love that, I thought it was a little bit excessive, um, and it went on a while, um, with the tangaloa and Tamatonga stuff, but again, it does play into the story, so I can't really defend RevPro, you know earlier really in the show with the David Starr stuff, and then say that this doesn't fit this story, because it does, it fits what Kenta is now, um, but it did, for me, feel like a match where maybe the first 10 minutes were the strongest, and then for a variety of reasons, maybe the, the Second uh, 10 minutes just weren't quite as strong, but again, I think it's uh, a lot that comes down to the perspective and the uh, the mentality you're watching the match with.
0: Yeah, I think I, I completely agree with you there, Benno. Obviously, nobody wants to see uh, you know, people going out injured and, and getting sort of like knocked <laughs> off unconscious in matches, but yeah, watching this without that knowledge and not really picking up for it, I uh. And certainly the crowd paid a large part for this, because they were so into it, and I think it got me more into the match watching it, especially when they were trading those forearms and everyone was going crazy for it. I feel Mm -hmm. sometimes a a crowd can sort of, like, really, you know, put a match over the edge, and I think they really did for me on this one. But, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable match. And then we were into the big two main events of the show, Mm -hmm. as we had uh, Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi for the British heavyweight title, and... um, Another great match uh, f- from these two, but um, it was interesting, and I-, I was looking through the lineage uh, with Tanahashi. I thought it was pretty shock win, him getting the title here, and uh, obviously holding the uh, British heavyweight title. I was looking at the lineage of this thing, and uh, the first... Holder of this title was Avi Mayan, I mean, and it's had other holders such as Shaw Samuel before it was. Uh, it was just an IPW belt before it got um, enveloped into a uh, Red Pro. So interesting lineage of this title I noticed. Uh, but another cracking match from uh, these two, we're uh, Jamesy.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Like, and the, the, I, I think this was their seventh match since Zach went to New Japan in, in 2017. And you know, y- you would think that the match happening, like it only happened at MSG, it happened in the G1. So it's happened, I think this is the third or fourth time, it's happened this year alone. And normally when that happens, my interest in two wrestlers would start to wane a little bit. And if I see it announced again, I'm kind of thinking, oh, do I really need to see this match again? But I just feel like these two have incredible chemistry. And I feel like they—they they, they, all the matches they've had have been excellent. Um, I think Tanahashi likes working with Sabre because... You know, a big, an underrated part of Tanahashi is his mat work. And like I always talk about Tanahashi in terms of he's one of the best guys ever really in the history of wrestling in terms of how he's able to make the opening maybe 10 to 15 minutes of a long match interesting. And like I have a big serious B in my bonnet about New Japan, how often those long New Japan matches, the first 10 or 15 minutes you could nearly skip and just get to the end part. Whereas I would never think of doing that for a Tanahashi match because he's such a good mat worker. And here, like they were doing some great stuff on the mat, you know, just 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 the first five or ten minutes just just phenomenal mat work um they the Sabre kind of went after that injured arm that tanahashi always has wrapped up in that big kind of a covering and that kind of thing and Tanahashi went after Sabre's leg, and it was an amazing spot that that Ben Owens actually pointed out on Twitter where at one point Zach was on the ground you know that inverted dragon screw that, that 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 Tanahashi does to his opponent when his opponent is lying down and it looks gruesome like it looks like he's he's completely ripped the guy's mm-hmm. kneecap almost off the joint you know what I mean um, and he did that, that, that dragon screw to Zach and Zach really sold it well throughout the match and a little bit later he went for the European clutch to try and get a pinfall on Tanahashi but the, the leg gave way under him you know and when I see that kind of nerdy kind of tiny details of selling in a match like that, that's right up my alley. And I'm always going to be throwing all the stars at a match like that, you know? Um And yeah, like, uh, and of course the chanting, we can't talk about this match without, without talking about the chanting. There was anti Boris Johnson chants and there was anti Brexit chants. And, you know, like sometimes I kind of am against people chanting these kind of things and not chanting for the wrestlers in the match. But in fairness, like Zach has made his his hatred of the conservative party s- central to his his um, character in New Japan, so uh, I had no problem with it here, you know. And in general, I thought this was quite a good crowd in terms of the chanting. Like for the most part, they were chanting for the guys in matches, and I forgive them this one little, especially when it's against Boris Johnson. We, we'll always forgive that, you know. Yeah. And like, and as you said, Martin, like fascinating that that Tanahashi of all people will be the Rev Pro Champion you know because um, he's not a guy who comes to the UK very often you know like there's a kind of a core group of guys that New Japan send over like Ishii Minoru Suzuki um, the LIJ guys come quite often but Tanahashi hasn't been over in a long time you know and I wonder how often he will even appear on on shows or or will the next time he defends that title be maybe at at Wrestle Kingdom or something like that. Mm. Um, But fascinating and like an amazing moment. Like imagine being there live in the building to see Tanahashi win the British title. Like, I mean, that's amazing stuff. And the pop that the result got was incredible because I really don't think people were expecting it to happen.
1: Oh yeah, that's it. That that shouldn't be lost. That's the big thing. I, mean, I wish this was one of the big moments where I wish that I was there. Tanahashi yeah, coming out, absolutely. his his mane hair and his his great jacket, and I saw you know some people we know who were front row, you know, taking photos of him just walking down the aisle. I thought, oh, I would have loved to have been there, or even have been there for the the Rev Pro match the night before, just to see that and get to see a big moment like that with a Tanahashi, you know, clean high 5 flow win, and get to see a match that's like you said, James. I think we're maybe a little bit spoiled from seeing so many of these matches. With these two, and you kind of take it for granted how good the chemistry is, and how good the selling is, and how much fun it is watching Zach try and pretzel, ta- pretzel Tanner and Tanner try and come back and do the same thing. Um, but I thought it was a, a nice twist on their on their usual great match, and, and a match I really wish I was there for. But yeah I've both kind of picked up on something there that I, th- I did think was interesting. You know, Tanner Ashby being Red Pro British champion. I mean, you mentioned Martin about the history of the belt, and you know, just just looking at it, I mean, if you look at the last few rev pro british champions zach sabre's had three runs and he's been in and out of new japan certainly for those first at least for his first run he was very much a rev pro guy and maybe for the the last two runs he's been a rev pro slash new japan guy but if you do look at that british title kind of the the, the recent reigns it goes tanahashi new japan guy zach sabre jr new japan guy tomohiro ishii minoru suzuki new japan guys Ishii again then back to that zach sabre even as far back as shibata you know, to, to to kind of get out of, saying a New Japan guy, you know, AJ Styles as well, you kind of have to go, have to go back to Marty Scale before he started working New Japan and even Kabara in 2013, and It does tie into something that worries me a little bit about RevPro right now. I get why they're doing it, because it's, it's Tanahashi. If it's like putting... You know, we moan about progress being too embedded with WWE, but if they put the progress belts on John Cena, I think I'd forgive them, <laughs> John fucking Cena. You know, it's Hiroshi Tanahashi. It's not you know Keith Lee or some other scrub that's not getting used on NXT TV. It's a genuine star, so you know it's fair enough from that point of view. But I'm a little bit worried. You know, David Starr. You know, let's see whether it sticks with the the loser leaves town step. El Phantasmo looks like he's going to be working a lot more New Japan, so he's not going to be around. If The Aussies disappear for a month for tag league as well. Maybe we should be careful what we wish for because that top end of the rep pro card is there's not much there. You've kind of and got new well. guys and pack as well. Yeah, he's Pac not going to be around not all the AEW time.
2: now, so he won't be around. He's been on a lot of yeah. those smaller shows and drawn good houses for them. Like, so that was a tweet yeah. I put out during that show, thinking, like, if all these guys leave rep pro, mm. what are we left with? Charles yeah. Samuels, MK McKinnon, Oof. Maloney. It's, it's grim yeah, enough, I think my like, you know...
0: Too picked up an injury on that Friday show as well, and he's, like, the hot up and coming star, yeah. is And they're losing... Oh, my maybe God. losing him for a while as well. I mean, enough, eight eight kid, eight
1: kids left uh, to go and take yeah. the Stars on NXT UK, so... I was going to say, if Michael Loku leaves his phone line around Danny Quilden, she'd grab it and block all of NXT UK's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like That feels like something primed to happen anytime soon, doesn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, so maybe while I'm... I can be critical of them, maybe leaning too much into the repro relationship, but can you blame them? At least if they know they've got a few dates on Tanahashi and they know he's going to draw, then there aren't many other good options there you can maybe blame RevPro pro for that for maybe not making guys but it's kind of a symptom of of the situation they find themselves in right now isn't it that maybe that's the that's really the best bet
0: yeah, because it, it's funny, because I mean, you'd think that uh, Andy Q would be getting on the phone to uh, to Tony Khan as well, to see if he can uh, mm-hmm. strike up a deal with them, because it seems as, um, I mean, we noted earlier, there's a couple of um, AEW guys coming for that, over here for that OWE show, and obviously that's a different kettle of fish altogether, but you'd think maybe someone like Pack might be available for some matches. And, and like you noted there, James, he's certainly someone who could fill the uh, void in the main event scene, but he's going to be doing more and more AEW shows, and he's, he's going to be in their TV rotation, Then even he won't be available. So it will be very interesting to see. I mean, it's been a very tumultuous year for Red Pro, hasn't it? So it'll be interesting to mm-hmm. see how mm-hmm. the end of the year, because they've got another big show coming up in December. They usually have that big December show, so... Will Tanahashi be coming over for that is there any major new Japan shows going on this on in December
2: Not that I can think of I don't know yeah but like you would hope that as part of the deal you, you get tanahashi for a few like what really do Revpro get from it if, if the next time that's defended is say on a wrestle Kingdom like that's that's there's no apart from a big pop on a show that wasn't theirs like a new Japan show what does that do for them? You know what I mean. And and like that's the other that's the other thing I was thinking about as well is um. Remember the last time New Japan came over, it was very much co-promoted with Rev Pro, so Rev Pro mm. were directly involved in it, and I assume got got a nice cut of the money that was made from those big shows. This was a pure New Japan show, so it, it it almost like Rev Pro were kind of edged pushed to the side a little bit, in the same way that New Japan have now started running their own shows in the US and and ROH are kind of getting pushed out where they don't co-promote with ROH anymore they just they're just doing their own thing now and it's a little bit like this relationship with New, that New Japan has with these smaller companies like it's like they kind of they use the smaller company to kind of get a foothold in the country but but their ultimate aim is to start running their own shows in the country and yes th- they get to piggyback off New Japan a little bit by having the show on a Friday night and that kind of thing but you know, as I said, I question the value of Tanahashi having it if the next time it's defended is is in January. That's mm-hmm. that does RevPro no good, really.
0: I suppose looking at it from a from a positive, you know, Tanahashi having the belt might put more eyes on your promotion because you know the people watching New Japan might be like, "Oh, this RevPro title," you know. But then if they're not putting on cards that people are interested in watching, then that also affects it as well. And I don't think yeah. they're quite at that ring of on a stage because obviously. Um, I failed to mention earlier, Andy Boy Simmons came out to do commentary on this match as well, and the title is still being defended on New Japan show. So I don't think they're quite in the Ring of Honor category yet, but it is it, it, interesting how much they are getting from this relationship in terms of, you know, the title might be getting exposure, but then they're affected by the fact that, if, like you noted, they're putting their belt on people like Tanahashi, but then he's not going to be available for the dates to defend it, is he? So... So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens in the next few months with Red Pro. But uh, moving away from that and on to um, the main event, which was uh, Okada defending the IWGP heavyweight title against Moro Suzuki, who, for me, as far as the relationship between uh, Red Pro and New Japan, I think Suzuki has been fantastic every time he's been over here. I mean, I know he's not been over here that much, but he's... Tag team with uh, Zack Saber Junior. and then obviously he wars he's had with Ishii twice on on Red Pro cards, and he was absolutely fantastic here. and And this match was absolutely brilliant. Everything you could possibly want out of a match between these two. I mean, the main moment that was like the pinnacle of this match was uh, for me was when. Okada and Suzuki were just trading forearms in the middle and then sort of, like, egging each other on to, you know, have a go, you know, come on, take me on sort of thing, which is perfect, what Suzuki does in every match, and... Even though you knew Suzuki wasn't winning the belt here, there were moments towards the end where you were like, is he? Is he? Maybe. And I think the crowd were feeling that as well because they'd been hot all night. But for this match, they were like on fire, especially for Suzuki's entrance. I don't think I've ever heard anyone chant uh, his, his entrance music as loud. But James, the absolutely fantastic match here. And certainly... A, uh, a masterclass in how to get as much out of as least because these guys were mm-hmm. flying all over and put, you know chucking absolutely yeah. everything in it was a nice slow burning match and certainly a fantastic end to a, a fantastic show
2: oh yeah like the, this was this is my kind of wrestling you know and like f- from new japan's point of view that kazeninaray and how loud it was that's a justification of of how often they've sent guys like Minoru Suzuki over. You know, like he's, by being on those Rev Pro shows so much, he's established to the UK audience. You know, like, like I always think back to the conversation we had a couple of months ago about Defiant Wrestling going out of business. And um, they were maybe the first ever UK company to bring Minoru Suzuki over. And do you remember seeing those photographs of Suzuki sitting on his own at a merch table? Yeah. And, 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 and the fan base, they just didn't know who he was. And nobody went near him for autographs because they didn't know who this guy was. And you fast forward now to 2019, and he's coming out in front of six or 7,000 people. And like, I've watched an awful lot of Minoru Suzuki matches over the year. I followed his career in great detail. I don't ever remember a louder Kaze Ninare chant than that. Like, that was spine tingling stuff. You know what I mean? And then, and like, you think that's loud. And then Okada comes out and like you talk about a a superstar, you know, like you you think of these guys as, as stars in Japan. This guy is a proper international superstar. Like the reception he got was unbelievable. So like even before the bell had rang, I was completely emotionally invested in this match. Like, I felt like I was watching two of the biggest stars in the world in front of an audience who loved and appreciated them. And it felt big and it felt special. And, and, and you know, it's the kind of feeling I'd only get from maybe a Tokyo Domain event or, or, or a, a G1 final or something like that. I felt like I was watching big time wrestling, you know. And um, I was actually glad that I listened to um, the PW Torch. Alan and, and and our friend Will Cooling had put out a podcast during the week and they had both kind of put the idea in my head that it's not completely out of the realms of possibility that they would put the belt on, on Minoru Suzuki. So like, I'm glad I listened to that because it kind of, it got me thinking about the possibility that he might win when before it would have completely almost dismissed it. You know what I mean? Like, but to me, this was a phenomenal match. Like, like you know, I, I I talked earlier about Okada and and I find more and more that his matches are are, are sticking to a formula. And I find that the opening segments of his matches can be quite formulaic and I find myself being quite bored by them and kind of wanting him to get to the the finishing sequence. This was totally different because you had a guy with supreme math skills in the ring with him and like the personality of Suzuki. So even when Suzuki is doing something simple like a wrist lock, you're completely engaged in it just from his facial expressions alone. Like, you know what I mean? And you talk about a guy holding a crowd in the palm of his hand. Like you talked about that forearm exchange, Martin, like, and just for him throwing a forearm 6000 people completely hushed and like i've never heard people anybody get the impact he gets he's like you'd swear he's breaking someone obviously he isn't like but you would swear he's breaking his opponent's jaw with these forearms the crack that he gets from them you know what i mean so a, a match that was based around very very simple wrestling simple strike exchanges but like they had me believing in that closing stretch, like, and even the, the the struggle, like every time Suzuki would tease the Gotch pile driver, like the struggle they had over it, like you had, you, he had Okada up, like, and there was a few times I fully believed he was going to hit it and win the belt. So they had me completely drawn into this match. I was, I, you know, I, I was standing up at the end, like there was one tease for the Gotch pile driver where I was certain he was going to hit it and he was going to be crowned the new champion, and, and I was completely just completely swept up. It was almost an emotional experience when you watching this match. You know, 33 mm-hmm. minutes that, that just flew by completely. Like, I, I would have no hesitation giving it five. If Suzuki had won and that crowd had gone mental, like, I, I would be giving that match five stars, no problem. And even as it is, I'm still kind of thinking maybe I need to watch it again because I think maybe it's still a five-star match. You know, just one of those lightning-in-a-bottle matches where you've got a hot crowd, two wrestlers who have had, always had great chemistry throughout their career. And just great, great, great stuff. Like, and I mean, we talk about Alan Forel's list for Fighting Spirit Mm -hmm. magazine. Like, I think he's you definitely must have a top 10 or top five match here in that. Like, I thought this was amazing stuff. Like, and I was thinking back to Okada, like, and I would say this may be the best Okada match I've seen since maybe since the last match he had with Omega kind of in 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 whatever it was, March or April last year. So like, and you think of the people he's faced in, in that time period. So like for that match to happen in front of, of, an, of a UK audience and like a, a great example, I think of two wrestlers coming out to have a match and their performance level being enhanced by the crowd. You know, I you often hear wrestlers talk that they go out to have a particular match. And then they realize how hot the crowd is and they give them that extra 10%. And like, I just felt like we got the best of both men last night. And and like, I was so like, I was just watching this match thinking, why the hell am I not in this venue watching this match? I, I never had such regret yeah. about not going to a, to, to a wrestling show in all my life. I think than I had yeah. about halfway through this match, because it really, really was something special. And I mean, like the next time they announce a show for the UK, I will definitely be buying tickets. There's no doubt about it.
1: I think yeah, all three we... of
2: us are regretting not going. out with <laughs> definitely, <Benham. laughs> definitely oh,
1: yeah, I know, yeah. I left it right to the last minute as well, but I just I don't think I could have made it time and money wise. But yeah, like James said, when the I think just for me when they were playing the you know the the champions roll call video at the start, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, oh that's so fucking cool. I wish I was there to see that in person that's as it. they kind of cheer for AJ and Omega and. Boo, you know Brock Lesnar. I love that. I'd love to be part of that. Uh, yeah, like you say, there's a number of points, wasn't there? It was like the, I see the Kazuya Nair that the, when the, the, that was like you said, Jamesy, the loudest I've ever heard. You could, you could yeah. feel the buzz in the building at that point. They got a proper their entrance. I remember thinking when I was thinking whether she goes to the show. I was like, I'd love to see Okaa's do his big entrance live. And we did see it an altering of last year, but it was right, remember, it was right at the start of him going to his uh, depressed Okada stage, and he had the remix. Oh, the balloons, yeah. Yeah, the balloons, and that's when he started using the remix music, and I was watching him coming out, looking like a, a million dollars hearing, oh, God, I'd love to be in the front row. So, yeah, I'll be with you buying tickets next time, because it, I don't, like, the crowd, I mean, the match, the work was incredible. But, you know, this this is, you know, it's Moro Suzuki so hard that if it was in Japan, it'd be a strong main event for a show, but, you know, not going to headline one of their big shows with it at this point, I don't think. But I think the crowd made it feel like a very, very important New Japan main event, and it gave me that doubt, and I think maybe the partisan. Nature of the crowd as well helped, like the the booze for Okada when he was yeah. daring to try and do a comeback at the end. You know, when he tried when he grabbed a tombstone or tried to do a rainmaker, and the crowds were outright booing. It felt like you could almost hear like a, an audible sigh when Okada actually won because people were buying it so much and were were so behind him Suzuki. And as you said there, uh, uh, Jamesy, I think the. I'm with you as far as, you know, your long carda matches. I think I'm at the end of my tether with them. There was a monstrosity with Sonada in the G one that everybody loves. And I think even I gave it four stars because I think we're all in the kind of that we've all got I think he's got us all held prisoner and we know it's good just sometimes I find it tough to watch. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of one of those things where you're kidnapped and you fall in love with your torturer. I think that's maybe what <laughs> with me and Okada, those long matches. Uh, but this was this was not that. This was the opposite. This was, oh yeah, I remember why I love Okada now, because it didn't feel like a minute was wasted. You got the, we did get a long Suzuki heat at the start, but I loved every minute of that with him amusing himself with chairs, stopping for photos, just playing with Okada like a, an animal, playing with his food, and like you said, we got the, the big Okada comeback, we got the strike exchange, like you said, Martin, where they were kind of challenging each other and Suzuki was, you know, hitting those cut those those punches and those forearms and Okada and not letting him fall to the floor and the crowd were just with it for, for every moment and for every every breath of the forty odd minutes. This is a you know, as far as matches that that go that long, this is the type of match that's the You know, things should be based on. uh, This is the type of long-go card match I want to see where people are hanging on every breath and hanging on every slight, you know, reversal or attempt at a near fall. Because, yeah, I don't think I'd go completely five stars and i think I'm, I'm four and a half right now i could go 4.75 but yeah as far as you said alan forrell's list of matches I think get might crack it uh it definitely would crack one of the, the better matches i've seen in the on uk soil um and yeah i bet every person who's in that building that we're all jealous of is uh is very glad they bought their ticket because they got to see a really really special match
0: And, um, yeah, I mean, just to reiterate what you two have said, especially that last uh, Gotch-style pile driver at the end when Okada's like, and it just looked like Uh. he was literally just about to hit, and you were like, oh, my God, this is going to happen, and then, you know, Okada managed to wangle out of it. But, yeah, absolutely fantastic match, and just... The whole... It's like, you know, Benno, the whole, you know, legit New Japan presentation of it, even, you know, showing the former champions at the start, it just felt like a, a really big deal, and just... So good, I didn't go down to it. But um as well as that show, there, I mean, trying to catch breath after watching that main event, there was a small f- matter of uh, a few hundred miles away in Wales, uh, in Cardiff, the second NXT UK takeover was taking place at the Motor Point Arena around the same time. Um, around four thousand here for this one, and. And I've got to say, going in, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I mean, it's no secret on this podcast, I'm not the biggest fans of NXT UK. Um, but I have to say, this show more than smashed any expectations I had. I mean, I flicked it straight on after New Japan. I was, like, really high off that main event, just as the main event of uh, TakeOver UK started. So, I mean, let's jump into this as um, WWE UK champion Walter and... Title of Eight, based off uh, a rematch from the big Progress Wembley show from last year. We had a fantastic Sean Ryan produced video leading up to this, which is well worth checking out on uh, WE's YouTube. And I have to say, after um, after that um, Carter and Suzuki match, this was probably my second favourite match of the weekend. I mean, the crowd was red hot for this. 40 minutes seemed to fly by for me. Um, so Bait was super over with this crowd. It had a really big feel to it. Um, even saw so, sort of like shades of uh, Nigel McGuinness as uh, Walter um, smashed um, Tyler Bate's head into the ring post, which was a real <laughs> wince-inducing spot there. I mean, super massive moves in this one. Uh, Code Red, Burning Hammer, and the Tyler Driver, 97. Um <laughs> But Walter ended up coming with the victory in this one um, to a really disappointed crowd. But Jamesy really, really enjoyed this match and uh, went into it not thinking that I would. But a fantastic match and it even picked the Wembley one I thought from last year.
2: Yeah, yeah it 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 was a it was a kind of a surreal experience. Like it, we, the, the match we just raved about ended. And I kind of stuck with the show to see if there was any, like, so that they had the post-match speech with Okada and Sonata came out and everything. And he did this kind of signing off speech and everything. Switched over to the network. And there we have, uh, they were just literally in the middle of the ring entrances. Like, so it was perfect timing, you know, and it's like, God, you know, you do feel fortunate as well to be kind of, you know, like we think back to having to wait months to watch shows on video and DVD back in the day and that kind of thing. And here we have these two events in two different cities in the UK happening at the same time and we can watch them live, you know. So even from that point of view, you you kind of feel grateful. Um, I had some issues with the match. Like I suppose I'll talk about the positives first. Uh, Like this was an excellent match. I think I gave it something like 4.25 stars. Definitely agree with you, Martin. It was better than the progress match, I think. Um, I think a big part of it was the crowd was unbelievably hot. Like I I thought I'd switch over to the NXT show and and kind of see a crowd that wasn't half as hot as the, as the new Japan, but like they, the crowd was into this match from bell to bell. You know, they never stopped making noise. They were into both guys. um, And it was an excellent match and they went 40 minutes and you have to give them credit for the pace. Like, Like modern wrestlers, you know, can go 30, 40 minutes now without taking a break like you know the, the cardio these guys have is incredible like they can go 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 for 30 40 minutes and it doesn't seem to take anything out of them you know whereas in years gone by you'd have to have rest holes and all kinds of things kind of you know it, it factored into a match to go long it seems like modern wrestlers just just have this incredible engine on them that they could just keep going at a high pace and never stop you know um I liked the kind of little nods in the match to the other British Strong Style members he kind of you know like Walter has beaten Pete Dunn, and within the match Tyler did the finger snap as A tribute to him, and he's beaten Trent. And he did the Tyler did the burning hammer as a little nod to him. I appreciated the fact that there wasn't any interference. I I kind of assumed that at some point we would have Imperium interfering and the British strong strong style guys coming out to kind of fight them off and that kind of thing. But in fairness to them, it was a clean match. Um, You couldn't mark it down on interference and that kind of thing. But you know, I you know why isn't why am I why am I not calling this a four point seven? five or five star match. And I do find that it just how do I kind of phrase this without sounding super critical? Because I said I did think this was a good match. 4.25 stars is a great rating for a match. But I just found the closing stages of it a little bit too excessive. There was a lot of kick outs and I kind of they kind of lost me down the stretch with all the kick outs. There was an awful lot of big moves. Like we've just raved about how minimalistic Suzuki and Okada was, you know, like a, a match that was based around simple strikes, simple holds. Um, I, there was there were no kickouts, I think, in the... I'm just racking my brains now. I don't think they did any near falls in that match. There was one pinfall at the end and that was the decisive pinfall and that was it. So, like, I, I feel like no shortcuts were taken in the New Japan match, whereas I kind of see a lot of the stuff that was done in this match is almost... Lot, too much fireworks almost, you know, like there were apron bumps, there was this, a sleeper suplex on the apron. Like, Tyler hit the Tyler driver maybe 25 minutes into this and I, I bit on it as a good near fall and there was a kick out and then there was still 15 minutes after that. So you have a guy's finisher been kicked out of and then a 15-minute closing stretch. Like And to me, that that's just too much, you know what I mean? And it's a criticism I have of NXT in general. They feel the need to make all of their main events, these massive epics, like even the Joe Coffey Pete Dunn match, had to go beyond 30 minutes and it was a needless epic, I would call it. The Gargano Ciampa matches, the Gargano Cole matches, all these matches that they, and every single one of those matches has to be an epic and has to go long and has to have these long. You know, these finishing stretches where so much happens that you remember nothing. Like I have a very clear memory of the Okada Suzuki match. I'll never forget those strike exchanges. I'll never forget those teased like he never even hit the gotch pine driver and I'll never forget those. Whereas to me, those last fifteen minutes in the base Walter match, they kind of passed as a little bit of a blur. You know what I mean? And like, does every main event have to be an epic? And it kind of, <laughs> what it reminds me of, and I mean he's the guy in charge of NXT is it's Triple H's vision of wrestling and who's the biggest culprit in the last (laughs) 10-15 years in terms of having excessive self kind of congratulatory self-indulgent main events it's Triple H and it feels like that's his vision of wrestling and that's what he's kind of imparting upon these guys to have so just from my point of view and then there were things in it like as well like I enjoyed there was a lot of logic in the opening kind of segments of the match where Walter was I felt like in the opening parts of the match, Walter worked to his size, where even a simple thing like Tyler couldn't pick him up for a suplex. And then Walter kind of destroyed Tyler's back. Like he he hit a power bomb onto the apron. He hit that power bomb onto the ring post. Big suplex on the apron, the big sleeper suplex, the, the half crab where he was like twisting Tyler up. So now Tyler's back is injured. But now that Tyler's back is injured, He's, then he's able to pick Walter up, and then he's hitting an exploder soup next off the apron, and then he's hitting exploder off the top. Then he's able to do an airplane spin, and it kind of just felt a little bit off to me. And it's like there was an awful lot of good psychology in, in the opening parts of the match, but then when it got to kind of having to do the big moves, they just kind of blew it off completely. So, um, and I don't want to sound like I'm being super negative. Like it was a it was a re- really really good match. As I said, I gave it four point two five stars. It did pass by quickly. But I just find these these NXT NXT UK closing stretches. I, I I don't remember them like you know. And I was kind of thinking to myself, all I say about this match, and I have to kind of look back at somebody's review of the match to remember all the big spots in the match because there was just so many of them. You know what I mean? Whereas as I said, the, the the Suzuki Okada match, I have a very clear memory of that match. I can remember the big moments in the match, and I feel like they'll stay with me for a long time. I think a lot of the stuff that happened in this match, will I even remember it in a week's time? I'm not entirely sure. You know, so that's my take on it anyway. As I said, maybe people find that a little bit negative, but um, I just have a certain view of wrestling and I find this tendency in in NXT and in New Japan, you know, in fairness, it's not just, I think it's, it's wrestling that's done to kind of curry favor with critics. It's like people feel that you need to do this stuff to get the star ratings. And it's almost like star ratings have become the currency in wrestling now, uh, where you see wrestlers online boasting about getting a five-star match and that kind of thing. And um, I feel like a lot of this is kind of pandering to critics and maybe pandering to one critic in particular who will give this match. I'm sure Meltzer will go above five stars on this match because this is a very, very Dave Meltzer match. You know, it's almost <laughs> like a, it's almost like an imitation of a 90s All Japan match, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you agree with that, Ben, or what your take is or...
1: I don't know, James, I've seen it twice and now I feel like I need to see it a third time. because um, you made a good case. I, I think I, I maybe split the difference a little bit, uh, in, you know, on Martin's praise for it and you know, like you said, like you said yourself, while you you know you there are bits you didn't love, you still gave it four point two five stars. Oh, yeah. I probably, As I said, I'm not saying I'm, it's terrible. I think I'd probably go four point five, so I don't think there's a, there's a huge yeah. amount of difference there. Maybe I'm just numb to it. Maybe I'm numb to that kind of you know, blockbuster wrestling kind of—you've got to have that extra twenty minutes of of hugely dramatic kickouts—and we're blaming Triple H. I blame Shawn Michaels. I'm sure he's there, That's so my backstage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything, yeah. <laughs>
2: <There's a pair laughs> he's that
1: around. around. Yeah. <laughs> I did see about Twitter praise in the match. Um, I mean, overall, yeah, people are are, are really positive on it. I, I think I, I'm I'm in agreement with you there that you know Okada Suzuki, like you say, that that's a big point that the, you know we maybe didn't mention that they didn't, there weren't any big kickouts. You know, in that in the in, the, in that match, it was more teasers of kickouts, wasn't it? It was more te- more teasers of big moves and counters and that kind of replaced the near falls and yeah, maybe that, that subtle away, um is the way to go, but it does happen in every match. Every match, every big match like this kind of has to be a blockbuster. And maybe for that reason, I'm a little bit more forgiving of it. There were definitely bit, bits in the match. I mean, I was watching this in a, in a room full of wrestling fans and a couple of people kind of noted, you know, there was that point midway in the match where uh, Tyler hit the big Exploder suplex off the apron to the floor. And that felt like a big spot, but you know, Ten minutes later, Walter's not really showing any effects of that. That's surely that's a big spot in the match. That should be a big thing that should play into, you know, Walter's selling. Um, but I, I do think that maybe I can forgive those issues because the two men are so good in the role. Okay, yeah, maybe they were plugged into, maybe you form your formulaic like, big match in some ways, but Tyler's so good at selling and so good at his comebacks, even if maybe there might be one too many, and Walter is just so good at being the monster that Maybe I'm a little bit more more willing to see the other way, and uh, look the other way because you know watching Tyler just keep on fighting and watch watching Walter just keep trying to kill him, I could probably watch that all day. Uh, I think for me, I probably have a overall on par with the progress match. Um, for me, that was a four and a half star match as well. I don't know where a lot of people went went five stars on, um, but yeah, you know I can't I can't fault the actual. The individuals in the match, and maybe their individual performances, even if maybe there are, you know, a couple of layout issues there. And it was—I was certainly invested in it, and that's not a thing I expected. I expected this to be a show that, you know. Slip through the cracks and people wouldn't really be talking about. But this match was always the one that maybe, you know, could could make a case for, for NXT UK. And I think they did a the great job in the build to the match and getting it over, not so much on the TV, but in that Sean Ryan video that you mentioned, Martin, that kind of got me into it, the star of which was was more Jill Bate and Trent Seven than it was Tyler Bate. Um, <laughs> t- Tyler, B- Tyler Bate is as, as much as I'll, I'll lord praise on him for his selling and how much I enjoy him as an underdog. This whole business of, oh, he's now a man. Uh, I find that quite unconvincing with Tyler because he still, still doesn't really feel like a man. Um, but I see, see why they do it. I see why they put him in the spot. He is the first NXT UK champion that we all kind of forget—the first WWE UK champion. Um, so he, he was a solid challenger for Walter. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it had a big match feel. It had a lot of a lot of good going for it. If maybe I'm somewhere in the middle, and I, I wouldn't really. I, th- I think you know Suzuki Okada as a shot, uh, probably a good shot of breaking that you know top British matches of all time. This I probably have it more along the edges. Um, even if it was you know really really strong and still a great match, and you know I can see why people would you know absolutely love it as well.
0: I think that's maybe it for me because, obviously, I completely agree what you're saying there, James. If there is a, an NXT formula to these main events where they've got to have tons of kickouts and stuff. But I think with your likes of Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole because you've seen it so many times, whereas, like, Tyler Bate and Walter have only had that one match before. And yeah. we've never yeah, yeah. before on this podcast where has Tyler Bate been all year. And so I think it was mm-hmm. because of the And Walter's had a decent year, but nowhere near as good as 2018. So to see these two... Going all out and going for so long. I think I enjoyed it more in that respect because of who was in the ring rather than sort of like, you know, the layout of the match. But, yeah, really enjoyed seeing these two going at it. But I just hope we don't get another uh, four months of uh, Tyler in the wilderness now. He's he's lost the big (laughs) one because... I mean, looking at some of the spoilers from the NXT UK tapings, it seems that um, he might be going into a program with Jordan Devlin. That's from just some reports I've read on Twitter, Devlin calling him out of the tapings. So that's certainly something to get excited about if they're going to go down that route, because those two were... Uh, I don't know, James, have those two even faced off before in OTT?
2: They they had the first, I would say, match, like Jordan was away for a good while, and he kind of came back and he was quite rusty and had a few matches that weren't great. And it was the first match in OTT that he had where I thought, God, Jordan Devlin still has something. It was against Tyler Bates. They had this really, really good. God, you, it must be back in Jesus, a 2015 at this stage, maybe 2016, yeah. and they had this really. And like Tyler was very young at that stage, and they had this really, really good. It was babyface against babyface, kind of old school British match with an awful lot of just just trading holes and that kind of thing. And I remember people kind of leaving the show saying, God, I haven't seen a match like that in a long, long time. And it was the first time people saw Jordan as a guy who could actually be a top guy in the company. But like that's 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 so long ago now, like that um it feels like Jordan against Tyler now is it the like, if you look at them physically back then and look at it, it's like two different men now almost. So it feels like this will be the first time that they'll have wrestled. Like, and I mean, that could be amazing. Like if you think of how good Jordan is now and how good Tyler is, like if if, if they do an extended program and they do a feud, like that could be phenomenal stuff, you know, that right. like that's what I want from NXT UK is guys like that having matches, having good matches and having good rivalries and that kind of thing, you know, yeah, and definitely. you using them to the, to their ability, you know,
0: well, like, yeah, definitely, if they do use them to the really. I mean, this is NXT UK we are talking about. But, yeah, fingers crossed that you do have some kind of extended program leading up to a, a big TakeOver-style match with them too. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. But um, running down this, the rest of the show, I mean, I was really excited at the start not to hear the usual awful NXT UK theme, <laughs> only to realize that it was quickly removed when I heard uh, Mark Andrews' band Jr., um, But the less said about them, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Found an even worse theme tune for the show if if that was uh, in any way possible. Uh, But opening this one, we had uh, Noam Dar against Travis Banks. Um... I mean, Banks was trying to show some fire in this match uh, that we know from him early on, but uh, he was trying to drag something out of this match that was never going to happen. I mean, really <laughs> boring match, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I used to enjoy Noam Dar back in the early days in ICW, but anything that I enjoyed from him seems to have been sapped out of him now he's uh, now he's living stateside. But, yeah, um, really dull opener, I thought. The crowd were into it. Obviously, all guys maybe have been out all day, you know, hitting the bars or whatever, but I I felt felt the reactions they were giving this match weren't deserving, and I felt... I kind of felt sorry for Travis Banks. I feel he was trying to get some excitement out of this match, but it really didn't happen for me, Benno.
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, I'm probably a bit higher than you on it. I think a lot of that is the crowd, because the crowd were just... We've got to say that about the main event as well. This was a great crowd who were were up for the majority of the show and were up for a a big opener. To be honest, I thought it was solid if maybe not very spectacular i do think yeah you wanna you do want a hot opener for your show don't you and i get putting the travis banks on first i suppose maybe the problem there is he he is in there with noam dar um it is a strange thing isn't it you know no Devlin on the show no Pete Dunn. okay Ely got added later but it did look a little bit strange that it was noam against against travis banks i mean noam dar's like It's almost like the Forgotten Man, isn't he? He was signed before NXT UK. Never connected on 205 Live. Never got over. He does look maybe more comfortable here, you know, in the smaller building in front of a, you know, a crowd that's maybe a bit more familiar with him. Uh, but he is still known that. He's never been for me. He's another another one. I don't want to get any more complaints from our Scottish listeners, but he's in a long (laughs) list of Scottish wrestlers on this show who really do get pushed higher than. What their potential value would probably suggest to me, and you're right, Martin. Travis Banks is, you know, as talented as he is, he just he doesn't really get utilized very well, does he? On NXT UK, he's kind of positioned as like that. Solid, me card act. Who's going to deliver and give you a, a solid match? But he's not going to be the big story on a show. He's not going to be the focus there. Um. So yeah, it was more about getting Noam Dar over. I enjoyed the work maybe a little bit more than you might. And I kind of liked that the they did. You know, there was shoulder work earlier on the Banks. It kind of turned into leg work, and it paid off with the you know with Dar going after Banks' leg as he went for the slice of heaven. Um. But yeah, I think it's the Noam Dar factor really that drags us down. That I probably would have preferred. I know they've done it a million times, or well, I probably would have taken Travis Banks and, and Jordan Devlin uh, again over this to give it maybe that slightly hotter open, uh, even if you know I did think it was overall solid.
0: I think there was one moment on the move where Vic Joseph said, when will it end, and I couldn't be in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow.
0: I thought it exactly was very down. awkward. I, I don't mean to be like the downer on this one, but I just thought it was a, a very uh, awkward uh, start to the show here, Jamesy.
2: Yeah, I, 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 a fairly nothing match, if we're honest about it. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I can't recall many of the spots, you know, and usually if a match is, is anyway good, there'll be a couple of spots that stick in my head at least, you know. But uh, I think a match we'll all have forgotten by this time tomorrow. Um, I, I thought it was too long. Like, it was 15 minutes. And When you think about we talk about the women's match later on. They only got 10 minutes. And I don't really see the justification in, in giving this match so much longer than the women's match, which which had its issues because of being short, which we'll talk about later. Um, mm. I find the two guys pretty generic, to be honest. And like, I have, like, you know, we talk about having such emotional investment in the Okada Minoru Suzuki. Like, this is the opposite end of the scale where I just have no emotional investment in either of these guys whatsoever. I, I don't care about them. I, I don't care about their matches. Um, and like, What they really should have done is open the match with Ilya Cesaro, I think. I think if they had opened the show with with, with the second... If they switched these two matches on the card, I think the show would have had a far hotter start.
0: Well, you mentioned that match there. That was the second match on on the card. I thought a a fairly tepid reaction from the crowd for earlier. Uh, Obviously, mass monster reaction to Cesaro. Uh, Pretty good, hard-hitting match here, Um, I mean, I'm calling BS on that big swing. More like 20 full go-rounds. Crown (laughs) Chiefs counting every quarter turn they had. And obviously, Cesaro picked up the win here. And a pretty good match here, I thought, Benno. And interesting that it was Ilya, because obviously everyone was speculating maybe Pete Dunne or Jordan. But um, nice little surprise here that Ilya was taking on Cesaro.
1: Yeah interestingly they did like the little backstage segment didn't they where they bumped into each other and I thought okay now we got our match and they still sent Ilya out there to do a bit of talking which is you know <laughs> English isn't his first language lads don't just don't give him a microphone I only only had two lines but I was worried for him uh, but interesting they went with him. It kind of shows they got you know faith in them and uh, he was visibly so much smaller than Cesaro. I kind of forgot how how big Cesaro was, but I thought he looked good. I felt like it was they did a lot to get Ilya over in the match. Uh, I think. Okay, Ilya loses, and I've maybe got a slight issue with that, even if I understand it. But for people who less... WWE fans who aren't familiar with Ilya Dragunov, if they watch a match like this against a well-regarded guy like Cesaro, they come out knowing who he is. you got a re- decent amount of, of offense in there, even if you know maybe some of his offense and some of his weird mannerisms, I do still wonder whether they will translate to that large audience sport. For me, I think it kind of... I don't know if you guys will agree or disagree, but I think it kind of escaped that danger zone that Balor and Devlin went into on that last takeover. Where I think the gay, I think Cesaro was smart in the way the match was laid out, in making you know Ilya not looking too much lesser than like Devlin looked like in the Balor match. You know those those ship and Finn Balor chants had all but gone away, and it almost felt like that match was designed to to bring them back. Um, but yeah, they, I think this kind of. A, a, avoided some of those trappings even if you know again second uk takeover another you know, main roster regular goes over an NXT UK guy in a full con conclusion, of result, and you know that obviously makes sense in the in the wider the context of the company and the in the bigger picture. But I don't know, you don't want to do this on every UK takeover, do you? Because it's all already, you know, the fifth or sixth tier of WWE. You don't want to hammer us over the head with that too much. But you know, if we if they kind of leave this next time, we don't get another one of these matches. I think you know, in isolation, this was as as good as it can really go. Protected Cesaro, let Ilya look good, and all in all, I think more people uh, than you he was going in will know about the Dragon of and maybe be a little bit more aware of, uh, of what he can do. So I think it was maybe a, a win from that point of view, if nothing else.
2: Yeah, like I, I, I would agree with that, Benoa, and I think I probably liked the match maybe as a bell to bell match, maybe more than you guys. Like I, I felt mm. it was really, really good match. It, it felt to me like the thing that Cesaro is really good at, which is having... I think Cesaro excels in maybe short 10 to 15-minute matches. Like, I think he's an amazing TV worker. I think if if you, if you watch him on TV, he's just really good at having these shorter matches with guys and looking like he's wrestled them several times before when it's actually the first time they've ever wrestled. Like, these two, I thought they had instant chemistry. I, I thought you, you would true. never know that they had never wrestled before. Um, I, I thought that they hit some great spots. Like, there was... Would you call it a go-to-sleep that Cesaro hit? But like it, it, it's one of the best go-to-sleeps I've ever hit where he, instead of just dropping his opponent down onto his knee, he kind of tossed Ilya up in the air then hit him mm-hmm. with his knee on the way down. Like I thought that was seriously, seriously good-looking move. Um, the rotation swing is always really impressive, as you said, even if the counting was a little bit faster than, 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 than was necessary. Um, like there was a, like the counter for the finish where, where Ilya was going for the torpedo Moscow and Cesaro just throws him up and hits that uppercut that he hits in midair. Like, I thought this was really, really good. Really good 12-minute match. Should have opened the show. I think it would have been a good hot opening to the show. And like you, Benno, like, I have no issue with Cesaro winning this particular match. I think mm. he is a, a way bigger star. And I think the the match was structured in a way where Ilya got more from it. Like Because let's face it, since, since Ilya went to NXT, they've had nothing for him. He, he had a good enough match there with Ono, I think, a week or two ago. But he feels like a guy they have no idea how to use properly. Like, And, and it's the same guy who's running NXT as Run Progress. And I feel like Progress have only figured out in the last kind of month or two how to use Ilya properly. Um, so, like, this this was the best thing Ilya has done since he got signed. And I feel like it kind of it, it elevates him to some extent. And at least it shows that they think something of him. You know, I, I, like, I was convinced, that, like you guys were, that it would have been Jordan or... Um, Pete Dunne, but like to an extent those guys are kind of higher up on the food chain and don't need the rub from Cesaro whereas Ilya was a guy crying out for somebody to kind of elevate him and I think that even though he lost the match, he was definitely elevated big time by just being in the ring with Cesaro hanging with him and, and kind of putting in a strong performance against him
0: It was also funny around. I was watching this match with my wife and um, she's sort of like a bit of a fair weather fan, she'll come to shows <laughs> with me and watch some shows and um, it was around this point where she was like isn't this called NXT UK? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, all oh, right. So uh, those first two guys were, uh, but Noam Dar is he is a Israeli, and then uh, Travis Banks is from <laughs> New Zealand, and then this Swiss guy taking on this Russian guy. And I, was like, well, I felt point, like having yeah. to justify NXT UK to us. Like, well, it's it's more of a European promotion where they you know filter some people in. But I thought it was quite amusing. That was the first uh, day from watching
1: this good show. point, we're, isn't we're, it? Yeah, we're, we're called the British Wrestling Experience, and James is on the line, so we should be
2: careful yeah. <laughs> we're loose with our nationalities aren't
0: we <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're taking it from WWE that's our excuse yeah but
2: that's
3: it, there
0: you go it goes, yeah and then, um, another, we had a probably the second best uh, match of the show was this tag match we had next we had a grizzled young vets taking on the a, a hometown uh, sorry the home country heroes of Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster against uh, the gals team of Mark Coffey and Wolfgang and uh I thought this was a really good match, obviously huge reaction for the home country boys. Uh, we had uh, the inevitable shoes off if you hate Gibson as soon as we started, which I noted. Nigel, I wasn't sure that he was a heel commentator, but he was like, um, this is one city where I don't want people to take their shoes off. You're
1: <laughs> he throws those lines in, doesn't he? Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> this is quite amusing he sometimes throws in these heelish lines. I don't know what he's got against party." <laughs> Lovely. To see. I had a fantastic <laughs> night out there myself. Uh, I mean, lots of messing around in the early few minutes. Obviously, super slick, uh, high-flying from Andrews. Come to expect that from him. Shooting star to the floor, flipping round everywhere. A lot going on in this match. It was. Uh, I thought Grizzled Young Wets were the perfect foils for the uh, Super over Welsh team. I didn't really see the need for Gallus being in here. They didn't really add much. I thought it would have preferred it if it was uh, sort of two-on-two two here. But um, sort of really good match, lots of stuff thrown in, um, and I I thought um, everyone worked well, and obviously the crowd was really into um, the end, which saw uh, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews pick up the victory here, Benno. But um, I thought it might have worked better for me if it was just Grizzle Young Vets against Andrews
1: and Webster. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Gallus were there also, apparently, yeah. (laughs) Why were they even in the match? I mean, They didn't even take uh, the pinfall. No, that's I exactly what I was, I exactly what I was thinking. And they didn't even, yeah. yeah. They weren't even there for that. Like, they were just, they played spoiler in the match and they kind of used it as part of the story. But, yeah, they might as well have not been there because there, this was the, I mean, I hate the name, South Wales subculture. It was the South Wales subculture show because I think without this being, I mean, I, I like Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, but, you know, it's been a few years since I've been, Invested, especially in Mark Andrews, uh, Morgan Webster. I've kind of blown hot and cold on over the years. And it makes sense to put them as a team. But I think if this wasn't in Wales, I think this might have struggled uh, quite a bit more. But because it was, they had all that good kind of fortune. They had kind of all that goodwill with them. They had the crowd with them. And they built the match around that. You're exactly right, Martin. The match was built around all, you know, getting Mark Andrews and Morgan Webster in there, hitting all their dives at the start, and then getting isolated by Drake and Gibson. And then also there was Gallus. And it was just, they were in the way throughout the match. And yeah, all the best spots kind of came from those guys. Uh, I suppose Wolfgang took that suicide doomsday device from uh, Gibson and Drake. So he was good for something in this match. Uh, I love that move. It's a move I used to hit on No Mercy on the N64. A little, <laughs> like, double team you could do. Uh, but all the best stuff was that. It was it was them. It was the back and forth. It was the near fall stretch between those two teams. And Gallus were kind of there just to, to catch dives uh, at the finish. Uh, yeah, it, it really was about those two teams, and it was it was a very good match. It had a nice, feel-good result. A lot of it was that that partisan crowd behind Andrews and Webster, but I did think that you know the the work was good there too. Again, the chemistry between those two and Grizzle Young veterans was good, and it gives you know Andrews and Webster can they keep this momentum going? You know, on shows that are outside of the home region. Uh, i guess we'll see you know as have many people got much momentum on nxt uk that is a big question but you know it, on this big show in cardiff i'd have done it too i'd have put them over it was a big moment it was a nice moment probably the one big feel good moment we got throughout the night and yeah i'd agree with you martin probably for me the second best match on the show uh, and all at all a success and yeah mark coffee and wolfgang they were there too
0: <laughs> but that also you noticed uh you, you just mentioned there that big doomsday device from a young vets but then also that hel a skeleton from gibson like followed by that 450 off the top oh that looked fantastic Dre. on the slow motion replay and it's like you don't really know these guys for so the high flying, but when they do it it looks uh spectacular i think jamesy
2: absolutely and like i love watching gibson especially live because he's just the most incredible ring general like uh, and even even like I've watched him him in OTT in tag matches and I often just watch Gibson more than I watch the in-ring action because he's always the guy calling the spots, making sure everyone's in the right position. You know, he's worked with a lot of kind of less experienced Irish wrestlers in his run in OTT and like he's just... What I literally the epitome of a ring general, like a really solid worker, but more than anything, knows where everyone should be. And I could even see him in this match directing traffic, almost telling James Drake where to be at points and that kind of thing. Um and like everything you guys said, I agree with. You know, it, it, it's definitely a match that on paper I wasn't in the slightest bit interested in and completely overdelivered on those expectations. Um you know, definitely Gallus had no. It really, it was pointless to being in the match, and and the two on two would have been better, like you said. Um, it was the only thing that, that crossed my mind was, you know, Flash Morgan Webster and and uh, Mandrews. Did they just win because they were the only fit and healthy Welsh act that they had, and they wanted a Welsh act to win a title or have a big win on the show? Like if if Tegan Knox had kind of come back from injury three or four months earlier and had had enough time to be on TV. I would imagine she would have been the one having a big win on this show. And the two lads might have been thrown into a three-way but not winning the titles, you know. So I think they're quite fortunate that they're Welsh and the only two fit Welshmen in the company at the time to get these titles. I don't feel like they're an act that will have a long-term run with the belts or anything like that, to be honest, because they've both, for me, been hugely underwhelming for a long, long time now.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mention that with Gibson, because you kind of like, if you're not following sort of like NXT UK on the regular, you kind of forget how fantastic he is and how sort of like brilliant he is, just all his facial mannerisms and he's constantly just looking really annoyed. I think easily, I mean, forget the Beatles and Dixie Dean. I mean, uh, you know, Zach Gibson easily the uh, finest import in, in terms of wrestling coming out of... Uh, coming out of Liverpool, I think he's fantastic and I think he could do with more and more uh, stuff I think he'd easily fit into sort of like main roster uh, WWE or even NXT proper.
1: Yeah. Let's just start. He's from McGull, not Liverpool. Let's, let's <laughs> not get into the the postcode thing in in this area. He hasn't got a purple <laughs> bin, therefore he's not from Liverpool. That no. it, it's the same thing. It's it's an area just outside the Liverpool. He's from. We'll forgive it. I'm from a similar area, and I'll stay Liverpool as well. Uh, but yeah, he is. He's the best. He's he is so good, and we all and we kind of forget about him because this is the only real place you can see him consistently now. Uh, and he's been this good for years. You know, I can you, know, you mentioned being surprised at like, some of the high fire from the Grizzlies Young Veterans, but I can remember him in 2007 and 2008 when he was like the flippy, long-haired, CM Punk lookalike, and he was into all his, his flying and that type of stuff. He's got that in his locker, too. I think that's why he's such a, a good base when it comes to matches like this. He knows how to work with those more spotty wrestlers and still be the great... Veteran that he is in there. But yeah, ring general yeah. is the word, as you both said. That is that is that Gibson. He's a full, he's a, he is he's a pros pro, but he's not yeah. one of those pros pros like a Randy Orton where I fall asleep during his matches and his <laughs> promos. His, his matches and his promos are all so excellent and there's plenty of little detail in there to keep you going too. Uh, I think we, we expected him. We last, you know, this time last year, you know, when they were, or, or even the year before when they originally signed him, that he'd maybe be the the flagship heel, and it never really happened for him. When he's been in a tag team, maybe we could go that direction because we're kind of lacking in contenders for Walter. Um, at some point, they're gonna have to take the belt off Walter. I don't know, how you put it on, but I wouldn't mind Zach Gibson around that main event scene in NXT UK just to maybe freshen things up a little bit.
0: Well, it did seem like the way they were going with him, didn't they, uh, last year after that uh, second mm. tournament? but then Yeah, honestly,
2: he won us, yeah. yeah.
0: But, yeah, I mean, it, this tag team with uh, James Riggs has been really good, but I think uh, it would be the breakaway sorry if they a break up. But um, moving on to the final two matches, we had... Um, a match I know Benno was really looking forward to. Bombardier uh, <laughs> well, nice. against Joe Coffey in a last-man-standing oh. match. Uh, <laughs> I mean, plunder, plunder, plunder was the uh, was on the menu for this one, wasn't it? I mean, just ramming each other all over. They, they even did the old uh, Walter against Rampage round spot from Progress with the uh, top turnbuckle coming off. Uh, massive using the uh, metal part of the turnbuckle, shoving it up Kofi's nose, which was quite funny, um, <laughs> Coffee returning the favour with a snooker queue he found under the, uh, <laughs> under the apron. I mean, perhaps one of the ring crew were having a game earlier on that day. Who knows? Maybe a game of cricket as well, because that's what they also found under the ring. Uh, I what I did notice, though, was a guy in the front row wearing an original Nasty Boys t-shirt, which looked pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I mean, this is just brawl, brawl, brawl table, one chair shot. Brought on the commentary table, coffee wins after uh, they both came off the staging. But I mean, compare this to the uh, AEW plunder match, and uh, this couldn't hold a torch for that, I do not think by now.
1: No, it was. I don't understand why this was on the cards. Like, more Gallus action, like we all needed it. I mean, it, it's been reasonably built on the TV, I'll give them that. But it's not a takeover worthy match. This is a. You throw this on your TV as a throwaway main event for, for a week where you haven't got much else going on. Uh, Dave Mastiff uh, you know he's had this day <laughs> as far as I'm concerned in Brit Rest this is two takers uh, takeovers in a row he's been in a relatively prominent position albeit you know in on the losing end uh, may, maybe you know let's that's, that's be nice maybe Eddie Dennis was slated for this match and Dave Mastiff was slotted in I don't know but yeah it was. I mean the match wasn't but it was every WWE Last Man to Stand the match you've ever seen, like you say, with the British twist, with the snooker cues and the cricket bats and the, the dueling chairs uh, in amongst the crowd, which was kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah, definitely the weakest match on the show. Didn't think the finish was strong either. Kind of looked like it took place within darkness in the crowd, so nobody could really see that that whole spot with Coffee kicking the leg out from under Dave Mastiff. Uh, but yeah, all in all, not particularly interesting. And yeah, you know, Gar- Coffee, like the rest of Gallus, just remains. He's one of the, he is one of the least interested, most over-pushed acts in this company and I don't get why they keep going with him even, even Joseph Connors who seems to be getting a renewed push on the TV I don't know why they persist but they they do um, and again this was a match where similar to what I said earlier about Noam Dar you couldn't fit Pete Dunne or Jordan Devlin or Trent Seven on this show but you could fit in Dave Mastiff and Joe Coffey uh, yeah just it was a match uh, and it just it didn't need to be there really although I suppose it gave something a bit different with the last man that stand and step but honestly I think I, I could I could have slotted pretty much any two guys on the NXT UK roster into this match rather than, than these two. But maybe that's just me.
0: Anything more to add on this, Jamesy?
2: Not an awful lot, to be honest. No, like um, a, a baffling inclusion upon the card. Um, I would say it over-delivered, but only because my expectations were literally <laughs> absolutely zero. Um, And yeah, you've covered all the big spots. It was a very fine WWE style last man standing match um, the crowd was dead for it I mean there was a, they got a little bit of a pop for some of the high spots like the turnbuckle thing kind of was a surprise to the crowd I think and got a bit of a pop Apart from that, like they they hadn't. I don't think they even were aware the finish had happened. Like the finish happened to complete silence. It came across fairly well, okay, on TV and a reasonably clever finish with them kicking the leg out. That I suppose keeps them strong. But like, who cares if Mastiff and coffee are strong in 2019? <laughs> you know, it's just I bizarre, bizarre. I, I, almost like one of those, you know, the way bookers, every booker will have a guy that they stubbornly persist with. And a guy that nobody else can understand why they're being pushed, but they just keep going with them. And it kind of feels like Gallus and to a certain extent Mastiff kind of fall into that category on NXT UK. I don't know. Do they want to build up a big man to fight Walter or something like that? Maybe I don't know. But yeah, as I said, a baffling match on the card and like people can skip it. If they're if they're cherry picking this show, skip past this. There's no need to be watching this.
0: Can you imagine if Joe Coffey is the man to dethrone Walter? <laughs> oh my god. In a 45
1: minute main event. It's cool.
2: With <laughs> kickouts galore. An all Japan, 90s all Japan tribute between Walter and Joe Coffey. Jesus.
1: And
0: uh, and then the last match uh, to talk about, obviously, the main, we discussed the main event earlier, was uh, Kayla Ray against Tony Storm, Obviously, two of the uh, premier women's uh, works over in the UK. And. Um, to the show Tegan Knox in in the audience uh, beforehand. Obviously, uh, long history in the UK and uh, has been out injured for quite a while. And um, I, I felt this match was really disappointing, uh, especially from these two. Um, they're certainly capable of a lot more. I mean, we had tons of stalling by Kaylee Ray to start the match. Slapfest once they got in the ring. Uh, Kaylee Ray kicking out the storm zero. Um, Kayla Ray even hit, hit a really dodgy-looking dive from the top rope and a really unfortunate landing for her. And then she finally pinned Tony uh, following a third gory bomb and a uh, new women's champion. And uh, Kayla Ray picked up the shiny-shiny from here, um, here, Jamesy.
2: Oh, God. Yeah, this uh, this was not good. Um, and yet again, like I feel like we discuss Tony Storm pretty regularly on this podcast and it's nearly every time we're talking about an average or less than average match, you know, um, I do feel like they were pretty hard done by to be only given 10 minutes. Like, when you had a 40-minute main event, when you had a 15-minute opener, surely to God, they could have squeezed an extra five to eight minutes out of this and given them more of a chance to kind of have a, a, a good, like a title match, you know what I mean? And I feel like we talk about the progress guys putting the women in the second match on the card and that being kind of the graveyard slot on, on progress cards. I think in WWE, the semi main event slot is kind of the graveyard spot. Like they, they don't do semi main events in the sense that they don't often put the second best match on the card. Second last, they usually kind of put the match they care least about to kind of bring the crowd down and then bring them back up for the main event. So I feel like in fairness to the two women involved, they were put in in a bad position. But like they didn't use the 10 minutes they had very well. Like this, the build for this match had been, they had tried to create an animosity between them and Kaylee Ray had said some very nasty things about, about Tony and her father and that kind of thing. So like it should have been an emotional match. And like if you're two wrestlers who've been told, you know, your feud is an emotional feud, you're supposed to hate each other and you have 10 minutes, then to my mind, they should be going for a kind of a heated brawl where they kind of go balls out for, for for the 10 minutes involved and just, you know, tear each other apart. And instead, it was just another nothing match. Like, like Tony's kicker, uh, finisher was kicked out really early in the match, which I found really odd. Um, the, the dive that you talked about, Martin was really sloppy and really dangerous looking. Um, and like, I just find myself scratching my head a little bit about Tony Storm at this stage. You talk about people, like you talk about Gallus and the Scottish guys being over pushed relative to their position in the company. But like, can you honestly think of a wrestler who's had more of a push both in the independence and in WWE in the last two or three years than Tony Storm? And then look at her actual output. Like how many great matches has she had in that time? Like she's, she's had a long run in WXW as the champion. She's been one of the top women in progress for a very long time. She's been in the latter stages of the Mae Young Classic on both occasions. She was made the champion in NXT in short order. And I really, really feel like at this point, does she deserve these positions that he's in, that she's in, because she constantly underwhelms me. And like you mentioned that interview, um, I don't know if, if you saw it, Benno, that there was an interview that they kind of did and put on YouTube earlier in the day where Tony Storm was interviewed about the title. And it was the one of the worst promos, like an embarrassingly bad promo one of the worst promos I've seen in a long, long time where she's referring to the title belt as her shiny, shiny. And she's <laughs> doing she's doing this awful. kind of, she's doing this, she's doing this, this kind of a, a put on laugh during the promo. And it just came across completely corny, like, uh, and just, you're dying for this promo to end because it's so bad. Now, maybe somebody saw that promo and said, get the belt off Tony Storm as soon as possible. <laughs> we can't have her as champion. I, I just don't understand it. But I've got to the point where I just don't get the fuss around Toni Storm. And like, I I get her look and she has a superstar look. And you said it before, Benno, she would look well on the main roster. And she's got the kind of look that Vince McMahon would probably really like to have on the main roster. But like, the matches are not good. And as I said, I would challenge anyone to give me five really, really good Toni Storm matches in the last two or three years. Because I feel like I've seen a lot of her matches. And every single time I come out of it thinking... It wasn't awful, but it certainly wasn't that good.
1: Yeah, I, I think for me, like I, I didn't see that promo, but I'd love to see it now. But uh, I kind of, I, <laughs> I think the opposite might be true. I do genuinely think this is this was a swan song, and they go NXT's going to be on uh, proper telly two hours every week, and they want a body, and I think she, I, I honestly think that's where she's headed. I do think that's that's it's it's the reverse, and that's what's happening. Um yeah. I think I mean we've said it before. I think with her. I mean, while I mean, let's—I mean, Tony Storm and Kaley Ray have had better days at the office than this uh, with each other as well. I do think they had something of an off night, um, and I do think you know maybe it was placement of the card, like you said, maybe it was the length of the match. But then again, you know, the, the way they they like you said, delivered on a grudge match, like the opening few minutes of the match was Kaylee Ray stalling trying to get heat that just, that never actually came, um, because it probably was the, the the wrong spot to go for in this match, um, so I do think I do think overall I had an off night, but I am with you, I think Tony Storm's ceiling is, you know, three and a half star matches three star matches, that might actually be good enough for the main roster, and you can kind of forget it, I think she's kind of got this history of it happened in progress and it happened there she dominates the division i know she's not been the champion all the way through but she's been very much the the focus as she was in progress where she was well women's champion for a long time and the the reign was kind of carried just more by a star presence than anything uh and the fact that she's tony storm and she continues to come out there and have decent matches and you know let's not you know, the there is high level women's wrestling out there, but as far as women's wrestling go, you know, she's not at the lower end. She's at she's still she's still at that upper end. Maybe that's a, something about maybe the level of women's wrestling in this country in some ways. Um, but she does have a, a kind of a, a rubber limit and a a ceiling and she never seems to to get past that with her matches. But yeah, I, I kinda of think maybe that's what they're thinking. They're thinking because she's got the star presence, because she's got this great look, because she's for some reason, got this rap. I think she will end up on NXT proper. I do. I think she's done everything, like in progress, where she's done everything that she can possibly do. I think in NXT UK now, I'd get it out of the division, freshen things up, and I move her along. And maybe the thinking, the change of scenery will help because it, it felt like with them showing Tegan Knox before the match, and with Kaylee Ray kind of being the, you know, they looking like they're going to be the heel champion going forward. That's going to be yeah, your next feud. I don't think there is a, a space for for Tony Storm on this roster anymore. So if anything, yeah, I think that's the the way we're going to go. And history's probably going to repeat itself, and we'll get that the same run she got each had in progress and the same run she's had here in NXT UK, but just on NXT every week on on USA Network. I think that's kind of what Tony Storm is at this point.
0: But, I mean, looking at this show as a whole, obviously, we've had a few exciting matches on here. But, I mean, as far as NXT UK goes. It's been incredibly dull and hardly, like, must-see TV. I mean, Benno, do you feel like we're going to go back to that now, this takeover uh, in the history books?
1: Oh, definitely. Can't help themselves. Uh, spoilers, I saw something about Cassius Sono doing rounds matches on the TVs coming forward. That's got me interested a little bit. A minor spoiler there. But, yeah, I think that it'll just we'll go back to the, you know, the lukewarm, unimportant, canned TV that... NXT UK kind of is because you know we have plenty of criticism to say about this show, but overall I'd say I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed the the main event enough. Similar to progress shows recently, if the main event's that strong, then I'm willing to forgive some of the undercard. And you know, like we said, Cesaro and Ilya were strong, and you know I enjoyed Noam and Travis Banks maybe a little bit more than you two. Uh, but yeah, it, it I'm not going to be rushing out to watch the TV um anytime soon. If I wasn't doing this podcast, I don't think I'd I'd be watching it at all. Uh, the NXT UK. TV week to week because it still does feel unimportant and you know there, there is talk you know if they're moving if NXT is now on proper TV uh two hours every week there is you know a hole in the schedule and maybe they could give more prominence to NXT UK I saw Triple H did an interview this week where he outright said that it's the NXT UK is the second most watched product on the network and that surprised me a little bit but then you think about it they, they drew what was it 4,000 for this show okay, yeah. There are people out there, you know, that are that are watching this uh, and are into it and are at least going to turn out for the you know, the big flagship shows, these big takeovers, even when there's already six thousand odd people, you know, with tickets to Royal Quest. So there is an audience out there that can be served. Uh, I'm just not 100 percent sure I'm it because yeah, this was maybe their high point of the last few months, and while I enjoyed it overall, yeah, I think I think I'd say there's not there wasn't enough there to make me to rush out to watch the TV. I'm not. Although I'm curious about who, you know, Walter faces next and what they actually do with the belt with him. Similar to progress again, what are they going to do with Walter uh, as champion? There aren't any obvious challenges lined up for him. There are any obvious guys that I think, oh, I really want to see Walter face that guy. It feels very much like business as usual, and it's going to yeah, go back to that very, very unimportant, lukewarm TV product. But yeah, we've uh, we've kind of hammered a, a lot on the show over the the last couple of years.
0: But all in all, I mean, obviously, now at the start, it's been, um, you know, uh, quite a tumultuous time for uh, Ress over the summer, Jamesy. But this was, uh, this was a big shot in the arm for it because, obviously, you know, we've had some fairly tepid shows over the past couple of months. But, uh, you know, two back-to-back uh, really good shows on the same night, I felt.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, and, and from the point of view of show quality, I, I would say, I would definitely say to people, watch both shows. Um, the NXT show was enjoyable Um, some iffy matches on it but you know in terms of a WWE product it was decent enough Um, in terms of British wrestling I suppose it depends on how loosely you use the term British wrestling because um, you know I saw people kind of using these shows being a thing and using the attendances of these shows as evidence that British wrestling isn't struggling and like you have to remember that that this isn't really British wrestling. This is two foreign companies coming to the UK and putting on shows. You know, and I mean, we always had that in British wrestling. Like as myself and Alan discussed on our podcasts. you know, ROH came over here, drew well. Dragon Gate came over and drew well. Um, there were international super shows that always drew really well. There has always been a hunger amongst the British wrestling kind of public for super shows and big shows and they will probably always sell well that doesn't have any real bearing on the independent scene you know and like all we see on the independent scene is things like progress sales softening rev pro sales for shows that don't feature new japan talent are are, are softening and that kind of thing so yes you know it, it, it what these shows demonstrate i think is that there is a fan base in the UK that will attend big shows and that will, go, will always flock to see stars, I suppose. Will always flock to see an Okada or a Walter, now that he's on the, the NXT network. Or will flock to follow the WWE brand. Because like both of these shows sold huge amounts of tickets before anyone was announced for them, or before any matches were announced. So people will buy tickets to support these brands. How many of those people will next weekend be out supporting their local indie? You know, and that's the bigger question, I suppose. You know what I mean? And we always talk about NXT UK. It is, you know, they drew well and they drew 4,000 people to a lot of people's surprise. But they are also a hugely damaging factor to independent wrestling in the UK. And we shouldn't forget that either. You know, and somebody made a tweet um, this morning about, yes, it's great to see these big shows. But there was a time when we genuinely believed that maybe a British independent company could be the one putting 6,000 in the venue, you know what I mean? Or, or that the progress on their own bat could maybe fill one of these bigger venues and that kind of thing. And that's probably never going to happen now. And that's, I suppose, the sad side of it, really.
0: Yeah, when you put it like that, it does really put it into perspective because I, I also saw that. And it, and it is a huge shame that um, it isn't just a yeah. genuine British company putting these shows and obviously Red Pro, we're having to rely on sort of like the I suppose you can class Will Ospreay, even as a new Japan import, yeah. We're Having to rely yeah. on those guys to uh to draw a crowd, but uh, final thoughts on this uh weekend, Banner, before we head out of here,
1: yeah, kind of the same thing, really. I think it was a, a banner weekend as far as I don't know, not Brit Res, but yeah, you know, British wrestling fans, it shows there's. There's a healthy market here. There's at least ten thousand people here who are willing to travel for a for a big show. That should be encouragement for AEW to come over here and do a big show, like like you said, Jamesy, uh, when you were on with with John and Wei. Um And yeah, I think it's a while. It's a conflicting kind of weekend from a Brit rest point of view. Uh, you know, it's coming at a time where. Like you said, progress attendances are softening. We've gone from sellouts in seconds to not selling out at all and you know coming close and still doing strong enough, but not quite there. And RevPro struggling to fill your call, except when it's on a big weekend like this with, with New Japan. Um yeah, it's a really, really conflicting time. Really the, the, the things do seem to be on the, the downswing, at least for the prestige in these. Um but We've kind of shown that, yeah, there is that that healthy appetite and the British wrestling fan base in general. I mean, we supported TNA for God knows how many years, so you know, maybe it shouldn't surprise <laughs> us that we'll we we'll come out in numbers for for big shows like this. So, so is it a you know, even though we maybe describe them as the the big evil monolith, but encouraging for be that you know, amongst the negativity. Even from the likes of us, they can still sell 4,000 tickets. They can still put on a cracking main event like they they did on this last show and, and maybe stand out a little bit from the crowd when I didn't expect them to. And also encouraging for New Japan as well. You know, they've they've filled a building with 6,000 people and they can come back. And I'm sure they'll do that again. Um, and they've got a healthy, you know, second or third home, you know, depending on where you put the US and maybe put Australia as well in there with UK too. So I think if anything, yeah, we'll see uh, another takeover soon enough. And I think, yeah, we'll see New Japan back soon enough. And, yeah, hopefully uh, all three of us going to at least make the trip for it next time. <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, New Japan would be crazy not to run another show at the Copper Box, wouldn't they? I mean, obviously, the G1 schedule might be up in the air next year with uh, the Olympics taking over Tokyo around the same time in the summer. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, after the experiment they did with the US this year, whether they would run a a G1 show over here in the UK. And I certainly think that would uh, be a great move for them, especially when they can get a hot crowd like this, Jamesy.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, it' I would call this weekend a huge victory for New Japan in particular. Um, they can't be anything but delighted with, with the number of tickets they sold, with how the shows were received. Like like we said earlier, they must see now that that the UK has a knowledgeable fan base who reveres their wrestlers and treats them like big stars. Like you said, Benno, I severely doubt Minoru Suzuki against Okada would have got that level of reaction in a bigger venue in Japan. You know, like, I mean... It, they were both the both were both, were both those guys are massive superstars in Japan yeah. but that level of 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 you know for that particular match they couldn't have done that in Japan you know so i really hope that they that they do a G1 show over in the uk um i wonder what they draw like because i feel like anyone that i know who was at that new japan show had a great time enjoyed it and will definitely go back And I feel like there's an awful lot of people like us who didn't go, who want to go the next time. So I feel like they can do a bigger number. And if it's for a serious show, like like an actual G1 card, like to actually have a card from the G1 Climax on, again, you wouldn't need to announce names. I think that would sell like wildfire. You know what I mean? So I can see these big New Japan shows becoming a very regular fixture over here, maybe even a couple of times a year from now on. Um, So, yeah, big win for New Japan, I think, this weekend more than anyone, maybe.
0: And uh, just thought we had out of here, uh, James, you've been all over posts just in the past week or so. Uh, do you want to note some of the highlights from some of the shows you've been on the past couple of weeks?
2: Oh, my God, I'm tired of the sound of my own voice now at this stage. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners are as well. Um, I, I did the, I have the interview with Alan that went up. A couple of weeks ago, at this stage, if anybody hasn't listened, where we discussed uh, his article in Fighting Spirit magazine um, about the 50 greatest matches to ever happen on the UK soil, which which probably needs editing with two or three matches after this weekend, perhaps. Um, and then last Thursday, I was on the I had a great honour and privilege to be on the Hangout Show with uh, John and Way, where um, we would have done a preview of this weekend. So yeah, maybe have a listen to that if you're short of uh, if you've something, nothing else to do for a few minutes during the week. Um, and, yeah, as I said, great, as I said, but I'll be glad of a little break now from doing podcasts, I think, for a week or two after this.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely fantastic show. I was really enjoyed listening to them, especially the one with Alan. That was a, a great show. If you've yet to listen to that one, be sure to check it out. And um, and Benno, you had a week off Grapple this, uh, last week, but um, you're coming back tomorrow with a new show.
1: Yeah, that's it. Um you know, but think with, you know, James. You mentioned taking taking time off. No such thing as time off in the in the world of grapple. We were we did have a show last week where we kind of we haven't really had the chance to talk it today. But the whole business with progress and their attendance, and apparently uh, according to the progress email he sent to season ticket holders, it's because of Brexit and the economy, not just because progress hasn't been very good for the last two years. Listen to us discuss that in detail on our last uh, grapple spotlight show. There's also a hell of a story from uh, from Rev Joe about uh, going to a strippers in Poland. So maybe that. Could circle you too uh but yeah we'll we will be back uh probably i think it'll be tuesday night slash wednesday morning before the next episode comes out where we'll be doing a, a full review of all out uh, joe and jp were both at the uh the two rev pro shows this weekend so we'll be able to talk about that as well uh as well as we're probably going a, a little bit more into royal quest and and nxt uk too but if i can get any uh, more stripper stories out of them we'll uh, we'll do that too
0: yeah i can vouch for that 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 was hilarious Joe's was uh just really? weekend to uh to poland was uh absolutely fantastic but uh, <laughs> us, we uh, we won't we won't be back on wednesday as our normal schedule because this was kind of like our scheduled show for this week and we've kind of covered all the major uh uk shows so we'll be back in um a fortnight's time at our usual uh usual time on a Wednesday. so thanks for listening and we'll catch you then